people don't really, I don't know, maybe this is a pretentious thing to say, but think about it. The, yeah, the, the people really think about what they even like about things. I don't, I'm not sure. I think there are people out there and I, I look at them like they're, they're like hanging on to the buoy, the buoys, the buoys out by the buoys, you know, like they're hanging on, they're hanging out doing the backstroke, the doggy paddle out to the buoys. Um, and they're in, they're in these vicious waters of just the most insane takes and the, the, the like absolute people are trolling. There are people that are trolling. There are people that have genuine insights that are just ridiculous. Like they just have like that. That's their, they believe it, but it's like, I can't, I don't know how you arrive at that conclusion. Mm. But I don't, I don't know if people, I, I like to think that people think about what they like and why they like it because, but I don't. But, think... is it, but, is it, but again, is it like that? The the whole fucking I've picked my team. I fly yeah. the flag of my team. Yeah. And anything I think that's else what's is, happened. Yeah. A threat to my team, and uh, I, so I shit on it as a result. Whether I. Yeah. And we're going to flame that with. I'll never. Team. I'll never take the time to try and understand it because I've. I've already picked my team. Yeah. And I don't even understand why necessarily I like my team. And then I'll wake up one day saying, I hate this thing. Like, <laughs> and that's kind of what ends up. I think the reason I always wanted to understand why I liked a thing. And this is the, 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 the reality of thing is one, I want to sort of understand myself through what I engage with, but more importantly, I think I want to understand, I want to be able to talk about it with other people. So mm. if I have no frame of reference for why I like a thing or for, I can't have a discussion with people about it because I don't have anything to talk about. I can say that was good. And it's like, well, why was it good? It's like, I, I don't, I don't know why it was good, but it was good. But if I know my sensibility, I can say, well, I like this type of character, a type of character that's this thing is what engaged me. And then someone can say to me, well, have you seen this? And it's so much like that for when I grew up, like I grew up loving like movies and like I grab like all like video stores with my, that was my shit. That was my mm. place. I get like seven of, and, and so, but I, I long for the days of having the discussion with the guy behind the desk, the counter about I miss that so much, so much. It's, it's such a, it's such a thing that is forgotten. Like I, I was able to watch like Leprechaun because of that dude. Like he's like, have you seen Jennifer Aniston before the nose job? I was like, what? And I was like, this is because like, but you like this type of horror film. So you might like this and the recommendation based on, what I liked as opposed mm. to this idea of the algorithm or this idea of this amalgamous thing out there that's telling us. Yeah, what well, the, the idea of because there's seven copies of it, then that's the good movie you should yeah. watch. Yeah, because distribution, Dave. One tucked over in the fucking corner there. Distribution, yeah. because it's like you might find an awesome thing that you, that you, it is your film. And it's like, it doesn't have to be. It can be critically well-received. It could be liked by certain critics. Like I always talk about that when I talk about films and what I look for. I don't look for like Rotten Tomato scores. I look for critics yeah. that agree with my sensibilities. Like I know what I like and I know the critics that share my sim like sim similar opinions. So when I'm looking for stuff I want to watch, I look for what they say about it because it's probably a good indication. And I, I tweeted that out a, about a year ago and someone says, oh, what a narrow-minded view about you're not engaging with all the world. Like I'm not, I'm not dismissing other things. I'm saying it's making it easier for me to select based on my sensibilities. I like this type of thing. And they're saying that this type of thing's available. So I'll, I will seek that thing out. It's not at the, it's yeah. not at the exclusion of other potential insights. I'll, I'll give shit a try all the time. I'll try you, you know, me, I will watch anything. Mm. And 
I will give it a shot. But if I, I'll know pretty quick smart whether I'm going to be able to engage with it at any level. And even if it's a really narratively rich text, it doesn't mean I'm going to engage with it if it's not something that hits the points that I find interesting. Like if it's mm-hmm. awesome, but it's not great. Like, like, like it's going to sound incredibly sacrilegious, but like everyone talks about like Scorsese. We talk about Scorsese. Like there's all these great films. And I love a lot of these films, but like my favorite film of his is Color of Money. Like I love mm-hmm. that movie. And like, like Werewolves of London, Tom Cruise going nuts. Like that's okay. It doesn't mean that it's better or worse. It's just that's the type of from a great filmmaker, the type of thing I engage with. And that's I think I think people are just not taking the time to understand who they are and how they think in relation to pro wrestling. And it just leads to people saying, "Well, tell me what to think." And I don't want our show or what we're doing to try to tell people what they should be thinking. All I want to do is demonstrate my thinking as a way to engage them in the same process. Think about what you like and why you like it. And we can talk about it. It's going to be awesome because I bet I'll get to know you by what you like. That's that's how yeah. we should be doing this. I'll understand you better by understanding what you like and why you like it. You know, simple as that, man. Or maybe just enjoy the matches and talk to me about the matches. Well, that's what I said, Red. I know if I see a like if I see a match that's like holy shit, look at all this shit in this match, holy shit. I'm like, yeah, I know who's gonna like yeah. this. <laughs> like yeah. that's the thing. Like it's that's the point, Red. I know your sensibility because I know what you like and why you like it. Right. And you like what you like and why you like it is different to what I like and what I and why I like it. But it doesn't mean that we have to pretend like we're on separate teams or we have to say, well, no, that's not that's not something. I can find something that the same way that you can watch Hashimoto and say, I love these moves, this sort of stuff. And I may look at it and say, I love the nuance of his charisma in the corner. That's there's two different mm. readings from the same thing, but we can engage in it from different perspectives and find ways to better encourage and uh, enrich our experience of viewing anything. Like, And to just get rid of that seems just so, it just seems like a waste. That's why I put it into this perspective. That's why we are the three pillars. We are the tripod. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we all have different perspectives on wrestling. And that's why we really appreciate everyone listening to the show because we are three different viewers of wrestling. I was seeing a thing on, on Twitter this week um, from Miss Doom was saying about the Osprey stuff. And she was just like saying, oh, how how good it was like oh your insight on osprey's characters made me see him differently i'm starting to see something i didn't see before and i kind of i get where where he's coming i get that thing i was like holy shit i was like oh no it's like i hope it didn't make him too likable like like, i don't like osprey i was like okay good that's that's okay um but um but it was more like it was kind of took me aback i was like oh people like this is a thing you don't really think about it like i'm more just talking I know there's people out listening to this, but I'm more more or less trying to understand it myself. Like I'm trying to talk myself into what I think. Yeah. So well, it's a it's we're playing with without a net here, you know. Well, I think that's that's the best angle to take with all of this sort of stuff. Like I was actually saying to um uh Karen watches wrestling. Yep, follower of the on Twitter. Uh, yeah, I was saying to her about that, like just messaged her and um, I said, oh, you make great content to me. It's the best opinion is like taking it from the perspective of like, I'm trying to figure this out and this is what I've found and sharing that rather than 
you know, everyone thinks they're fucking Meltzer. <laughs> you don't <laughs> want to be. Don't you don't want to be that. So I'm like, oh, I reckon it's great. Like all her content's awesome. And I've learned heaps sort of flicking through a bunch of different videos that she's created. And she takes a lot of time and effort, puts in, makes great work. So, uh, yeah, kind of inspired one of my, well, this beginning of one of my takes. Oh, so we have her to blame. That's kind of... <laughs> <laughs> well, no, not her specifically. She was sort of like a lead on. She was further down. Just part of the, part of the tapestry that is Dave's. Down the, um, and, um, but uh, yeah, so I mean, shit. So, that's the angle to take isn't it you're right like that is the angle to take is like trying ultimately out, yeah. i'm trying to yeah i'm just i'm just trying to understand what i think and and the best way to do that is to be in a space where you have people that that have insights and understanding of the context and you just sort of talk to it and you you'll sort of co-create something and it will spur something else on you're like oh, i didn't even see that i wasn't even thinking that but until i spoke it to you or to red and then they you got bit back and it's just an opportunity to sort of explore ideas. And I think that sometimes sometimes that leads to stuff that you would just never, you know, you'd never formulate yourself. And sometimes it leads to stuff you're like, that's never gonna happen. Like, I don't know. That's oh, yeah, the most yeah. obscure, oh. that's the most obscure insight that I've picked up there. But if it triggers something that unlocks something in someone's thinking, and it's like, what about if it went like that? That yeah. to me is the type of stuff. This is about discourse. It's about interaction, not transaction. You're not just meant to listen to it and go like, "Yes, I agree with everything you're they say." Right. It's one hundred percent. You're right. It's like I don't want to be right. I'm just like speculating. I just want to be me. And if I can yeah. get what I'm in my head across to people, and that they can pick it up and use it and take it and do something with it, and then send it back to me, and then I can pick it up again and go, "That's." how we interact as a species that's how we move uh the collective knowledge forward that's how we that's how it works so like mm. i just love the fact that um that that is actually something that is happening but please don't don't look at it as some sort of expert opinion on anything because it is just no, no, no. uh one opinion <laughs> and definitely not an expert. please do not please do not look I'm at this. kind of like amazed by how much stuff people know about not just new japan but wrestling japanese wrestling across the board i'm like far out yeah like starting to dip my toes a little bit in the characters in stardom before i start watching to try and so that i've got some sort of like yeah. baseline going in i think we all need to because um, it's going to become part of our new japan um, diet yeah well that's what i was thinking it's like well if it's going to be there then i should probably take the time to get to know the product a little bit and try and at least understand it and uh like there's a lot out there and yeah, yeah, people just watching, people are watching everything. And I'm like, A, how do you find the time? And uh, B, far out, I'm like, as far as my knowledge of what's going on, yeah. not on that level at all. Yeah. I, I'm in a bunch of discords where I'm constantly like, ah, oh, that's why, like I, sometimes I bring out like a little, my little Nakajima talks like, yeah, cause I'm listening to like, liam over there on like the super jake <laughs> like he knows what he's talking about i have no fucking clue thanks bud like yeah that's the thing of like these 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 people and that but i like that idea of community driven knowledge like it's not yeah so it's not I. possessive like you don't have to own this stuff you share this stuff yeah that's what it's about because yeah, yeah. we all grew it, up you know? like we all yeah we grew yeah. up in a space where the like that's what i always say like we grew up in a space where i don't know i grew up where there was no wrestling fans and wrestling was a was you to be shunned, you know. So 
the opportunity to talk to people about pro wrestling from all around the world, different insights, like it's so great. And anyone that wants to own something or or, or keep it to themselves to just so they know all the stuff, it's like that just seems silly. Just seems yeah. silly. Like, why would you do that just to isolate yourself when you can have so many greater connections with everyone around? Silly stuff. I'm a Welcome to We Work Stiff. This is what we call a quiet week. What's that? You're a wrestling geek. Now, if you don't like wrestling, once again, thank you for listening. What's that? It's the sudden glistening. Ooh, yeah. Because this is a slow week. And we have a couple things, or as I like to call them, assignments that have been assigned to all three of us, that we are going to attempt to do for the first time ever. Not that Josh doesn't do the news normally, not that Dave doesn't do conspiracies normally, but one thing they've assigned me to do is to watch some wrestling and review it. <laughs> Very different for you, right? Watch matches and talk about them. Yeah, so we'll be talking about aliens too, by the way. Oh! <laughs> and flat earth. <laughs> Are we doing an AJ Styles deep dive? <laughs> so once again, this is an interactive intro. Welcome to the they show. Thank you so much for listening to us on your drive home while you're in the bath, while you're having your happy lunch or your happy dinner. <laughs> Branching out, Red. Yeah, I know. My name is the fantabulous R.E. Double Dizzle. I am joined over yonder by Dr. Dave Pruden, the Tokemop himself. Hey, yo. And the man making all the magic happen, his name is Julius. <laughs> King of Dork himself style, Josh Crichton. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Well, so, you, you, you did it, Red. You basically summed up exactly what we're supposed to be doing in the show. Yeah, what are we doing? good question it's a very good question it's 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 probably uh um it's probably good actually even before we introduce the show even to just get straight to a question that probably sets up this entire episode and it's a question from curtis from the okada shorts podcast at el destructo 83 who asked have you been enjoying your two weeks off between g1 and the next tour and uh it's it does sort of hit to the point doesn't it that we've come off this what seems like an insane schedule of mm. lots and lots of wrestling and then nothing <laughs> just straight off in new japan's like it's time for a break which is great i think uh but it leaves us with an interesting space to be i think there's enough to talk about in pro wrestling that relates to new japan but it's kind of funny coming back after like five or six weeks of those style of shows to come back to what is ostensibly a regulation we work stiff episode uh so I think we're sort of working through a process, which I think is going to be kind of fun in terms of the way that we, the things that we like to talk about and sort of each bringing those things to the table and seeing what each of us think about that, uh, as well as what some of the listeners uh, have got in terms of interesting questions. And, and it sort of reflects, I think, a lot, of, a lot of ways, the nice little break we have with some of the questions we've been getting that are really different and they're 
some of them are looking at interesting ideas. Some are looking at obscure things. I think it's kind of nice um, as we sort of wait for the next week before the next big uh, the next big tour, the Burning Spirit tour gets underway. The mm. big Burning Spirit tour, headlined by the US title in a couple of weeks. It's like a Burning Man, but means wrestling, New Japan style. Yes. <laughs> real... That'd be amazing, a bush stuff, but like New Japan themed. Oh, this, yeah. I think so. Uh, so as a result, we have this sort of show this week, which is a nice little deviation from the, the traditional stiff one format to come back to the, you know, putting on the nice Ugg boots or the nice uh, tracky dacks, uh, slipping back into the comfortable attire that is the We Work Stiff uh, podcast. I think it should be should be fun. I'm looking forward to chatting some of this stuff. There's been some crazy things happening in the world of pro wrestling. And I'm so thankful that we are a New Japan pro wrestling podcast. <laughs> <laughs> not an AEW podcast. Not an AEW podcast. A backstage <laughs> report. Uh, yeah, don't have to be worrying about all that drama. Uh, so yeah, it's 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 quite nice to sort of sit back and watch a uh, sip of my tea and watch that that happen in front of my eyes. Um, and yeah, and enjoy the uh, enjoy what New Japan has to offer, which is a nice break. So have 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 we enjoyed our break? We've we got ourselves prepared. To talk about New Japan Pro Wrestling, we psyched to talk about New Japan Pro Wrestling after the big G1 experience, the the pilgrimage that we've just experienced. Well, you both know I am. I just went through the annals. I, I went to the annals of New Japan. So I got to do my absolute favorite thing in the world. I got to watch wrestling of old. I got to watch so much wrestling, it's not even funny, and I actually enjoyed it. Uh, no, but I, I, you know, I got to pick up more shifts at work and uh, you know, live my life, go to the gym more. Uh, cook more. Uh, I have not enjoyed it because I've been sick since pretty much the end of G1. So that's been kind of shit. However, I've done much the same to Red and managed to go down some rabbit holes. Some New Japan, some not New Japan. So, uh, yeah, to be continued. The might... full day of experience is coming tonight. <laughs> You're going to get there it. could be some interesting things to talk about a bit later on. But uh, yeah, I mean, I've I've liked looking at some stuff. I actually watched um, uh, Despi and Hiromu, uh, the unmasking of Despi. I hadn't seen yeah. it yet, so I watched that today. That was a really cool match. Although I did fall asleep during the last <laughs> five minutes. Yeah, <laughs> but you were there. You were there for the unmasking. I was there for the unmasking, yeah. uh, and I was also there for Hiromu being asked the same question a couple of times and not being happy about it. <laughs> Just, <laughs> match <laughs> um, so that was kind of cool what a great match though yeah what a moment that's that's lovely go to some questions now um obviously we're in sort of interesting space uh i'll go to a question from trish spears she's got two questions awesome uh fan of the show always enjoy talking to trish on twitter uh love you trish so happy to have you here on your edge where on twitter would that be josh <laughs> you can reach us at we work stiff uh, we work stiff on Twitter at We Work Stiff, uh, where we are rocketing uh, towards fifteen hundred followers. Now we 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 just we'll find our groove soon. Uh, you know, I've no tw- Twitter controversies this past week for me, which has been a really it's pretty encouraging considering the the hellscape that's been this past week. Uh, again, as I mentioned, uh, luckily it's not involving many uh many uh, New Japan pro wrestling people. So it's basically been avoiding that. Uh, Trish asks, a lot of wrestlers have props such as cats, sticks, etc. This is New Japan. What is your favorite? 
So what is your favorite New Japan pro wrestler accessory? Um, Tai Chi's pants. Tai Chi's pants is, is a- Tai Chi's pants have to be one of my favorite props right now in wrestling full stop because you know it's coming off. Yeah. You know what I mean? When, like you know it's coming when. off. So they have to be my favorite prop full stop. Yeah, they where yeah, when are they coming off? That's it's it's always a pop. The pants pop. Yeah. Yeah. I mean I when I watch Tai Chi's matches, I have a pants pop, so it's it's not uncommon yeah. to see him do it. What about um when Kenta has a suitcase? <laughs> yeah, Kenta is the king of props, right? <laughs> you got suitcase, you got book, you got sticks, other people's sticks. Yeah. Uh you got a crutch. Mm. I mean all is, in the last twelve months. Is Kenta the carrot top of wrestling? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a <laughs> yeah, maybe. He's he is the he is the prop comic of of modern New Japan pro wrestling. Yeah, he's pretty he's pretty solid. He is pretty uh, solid. I, I I I struggle with this one because I'm like I, I don't know I don't know. I was like Kenta is the for me. I mean Yoshihashi. Uh, you've got you've got Goto's balls. Mm. Goto's balls is always a nice touch. Big match. <laughs> Big match balls, you know when it's a big match for Goto and he brings out the balls. What 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 about Naito's outfit and how slow he takes it off? Yeah, Naito's hat. I mean, is yeah. Naito's hat a, a prop? Yeah. yeah. Bushi's extraneous yeah. mask. That's always a nice touch. The Bushi's extra mask. He doesn't need. Yeah, no, no, doesn't really bring the extra jacket anymore, does he? No, but he still has no. Daryl. I mean, Daryl is what the to, iconic. What happened to Carol? Uh, I think Carol gave birth to Daryl Junior. and is just you know. Happy to stay. Tired. Yeah, I think I think it's just living, watching her her husband and son. He also perform. brings out um like the poster or the little hand drawn like you know he has the his sheet book. of paper with picture and that's always the, good during the super dreams. That's a good prop. He's, he yeah. brings out his book and he hands it to Milano Collection and they always have the different each each day as a different that's that is a pretty iconic prop because it tells the story of each person each character. Mm. That's a good prop. That's a solid prop. What about um? Uh, I'm trying to think of um Tanahashi's air guitar. <laughs> That's an interesting prop. <laughs> I haven't I seen did, it for a while. Uh, well, I, I've never actually seen it, but the no, but it it's is, there. It's there. It's like, it's like the John Cena of guitars. Yeah, it is. It's it's an actual guitar that we just can't see, but it's there. And yeah. if the crowd bring it and throw it to him, he'll catch it. Yeah, I don't mind the. Uh, it's not a bad one, Red Tanahashi's air guitar. Mm. Uh, so there you go. There's a there is a little uh, waltz through the various props. When you realize it, like I, I saw this week, someone talk about it, and it, everyone talks about like we talked about before, like New Japan being this very serious promotion. We just went through like seventeen or like twenty wrestlers and their ridiculous <laughs> props that they have. You know, like yeah. I mean, seriously, at this point, every every character's got their gimmicks. You know, they only call it serious because the wrestling is good. Yeah, I think that was it. I saw someone talk about it where it's like it's sports-based presentation and and then someone was sort of saying, I saw a, a thing on Reddit. Uh, it was sent to me in a Discord today and I was just talking about, oh, I'll get to it when I have a discussion later. But they're like, oh, you know, if it's sports-based, it's not, you know, it's not story-driven. And it's like, it's like, have you ever watched a sport? <laughs> have you ever watched a sport before? Yeah. Like yeah. sports have characters and they have, ridiculous gimmicks and they have all these like they it have can be stories between like team rivalries and intra-team rivalries story amongst... to say that there's no story in sport exactly right if it's sports based it's not story driven it just to me it's like, like... You, you look at the ufc and all their biggest fights are based off 
the biggest characters and the stories that they tell them throughout their careers. Heroes and villains in every sport. Everybody oh, yeah, wants everything. to see the yeah. best. Yeah, like if it's it's like the like LeBron is the aging ace of like it's it's the yeah. same archetypes, and here comes the young one to dethrone them. Like that's that these these are the things that make it interesting to watch the sport, and it just sometimes you get that beautiful meld of the story, the grand narrative and the narrative of the actual match or game, or whatever aligning. And that's perfect. And in pro wrestling, you can script it, mm. but this idea that, Oh, it has to be this, it's serious and it's sports based and they've got great matches and therefore it's not gimmicky or whatever. It's like, look, every, watch, everybody watch has Yana's their G1. Yeah. Speaking oh. of man of props. He's his own prop. Yeah. Exactly. He he picks a prop for the night. Like, and it's just, I just think it's hilarious. It's like, yep, yeah, there's when you start actually listing it off, it's like everyone has their prop. And that's that's just New Japan Pro Wrestling. You gotta sell the sell those gimmicks. Well, Naito and his hairline. It's one of the that's that's the truly that's, that's the prop really that defies physics. Prop of all time, yeah. Yeah. I I'll talk about it every chance I get. Mm. Uh, <laughs> what a great question though. Yeah, Trisha got another one. And uh this one's uh in relation to, I don't know if you guys have seen, but uh, New Japan is going to uh, London in October, early October, I think first and second, for Royal mm. Quest. And Trish is asking, what on earth do you think they're putting on Royal Quest? And I think the reason she's sort of asking this is because the placement's really interesting because you've got uh, Declaration of Power, which is taking the place of King of Pro Wrestling this year. And just for people that are wondering about the name changes and the, the interesting names for the New Japan Pro Wrestling uh, big shows this year. It's because it's their 50th year. What they've done is they're going back to classic names from the past mm. and picking which ones are obviously relevant. Declaration of Power being headlined by Tama Tonga and Jay White. I, I know. Pretty obvious decision to go that direction. Um, and so uh, the Burning Spirit Tour is happening uh, leading up to a Finley versus Osprey match. Then it's like a week later, it's off to uh, the UK and it's like, a week later or two weeks later, you're back to the big show, uh, the world title match at. So at is Declaration the Royal Power. Quest show? Is that is that's in the UK? Is it? It's in the UK? It's in Crystal Palace. It's two nights, two night event. The first thing I thought of when I saw that question was, um, what's Shooter doing? Mm. Like Shooter's been doing a lot over there. So like, if they wanted <laughs> to propel him to uh, you know, like the next level and stuff like that, they're doing an actual show over there. What is Shooter doing and how is he going to be like positioned on that card? That'll be interesting. That's something to think about for sure. It'll tie into a, another question we've got. We'll we'll get to that uh, in a second. But yeah, I think that's interesting, right? Because he is he's a Rev Pro guy at the moment. He's mm. got to be getting close. He's got to be getting close to, to coming back. He's doing a lot of work on Strong at the moment as well. So he's sort of between those two excursion zones. Um, I'll be interested to see. Hopefully we'll see some movement there soon. Um the card has got, I mean, Naito's been announced, Zach Sabajun's been announced, Will Ospreay's been announced, Jay White's been announced, uh, FTR's been announced. It's one of the biggest international tours I've actually seen. Like, I've seen all the people who are available, so it's one of, one of the biggest. The first time they're sort of back, you know. What are the chances they do uh, Zach and Will there? I'm interested. I don't. I. You got to get to it somehow, don't you? I think Zach and Naito makes a lot of sense. Just as a special singles match, um, because they've they've been teasing that. But you're right, Will Will and Zach it would be for the US title potentially. But if you know, we don't know because Finley's taking. That's the thing. Like the so that's yeah. the difficulty of the scheduling because Will's got Finley, 
And then where does Will sort of sit um, post that? It's, it's very, um, it's two nights. Um, there's also going to be on that show, there's going to be a match for a qualifying match for the IWGP women's um, title. That's another great, exciting thing that's happening at the moment yeah. is that, that tournament um, where they announced that there will be, uh, a, you know, crowning a new, an IWGP women's champion. And that person will also defend that belt at Wrestle Kingdom. So that's really, do you think they'll do FTR versus Aussie Open at Royal Quest? Would that be, is that big make, enough to main event? It would make sense. Uh, Aussie Open are Rev Pro guys. So that's where they've made their name. So in England, FTR, Aussie Open, uh, IWGP tag titles. I'm just interested. Like, obviously, FTR, um, is there going to be an opportunity to, to get a match? It's interesting they're not going to Japan to do it. It's just interesting that that will be they're going to the UK um, for this mm-hmm. matchup. But I it's a two-night event, so my feeling is it might be night one, might be uh, – I, I just want it to be because I want to be – I want to be here. I want to be watching Twitter when just so I can put it. I've got a shit post ready to go out. And I, listeners, prepare for these ones. If FTR versus Aussie Open is a main event of night one, I can't wait to tweet out about how New Japan is main eventing FTR, like the, the real tag promotion. Like, because everyone knows New Japan and tag team wrestling is not necessarily synonymous. But if they were the if they were the actual ones to give them the a main event spot on a big show, that would be it'd be great over yeah that'd be so good just to just yeah. to see the well, ring, of a, ring of honor gave him a main event i mean it's funny you mentioned ftr because like the big news for me this week was the fact that ftr was removed from the AEW video game yeah i think that's a bit of a storm in a teacup that one yeah it just it's, it just sounds so weird the fact that and i said to dave this afternoon in a private conversation josh outside of you um <laughs> I think it, it, could, it, it could be to do with licensing. That's what I think, because they have this contract where they can appear wherever, so their licenses can't be included within it. And Charles Barkley of, uh, of yeah, that, that, games. That, that's exactly it. And as a game myself, like that's big news. If you're releasing a game and you have the number one tag team in the entire world, if you can't have them part of the game, then what's going on? Particularly... Uh an AEW game because you'd imagine that tag team wrestling would be a significant feature of the game. Maybe it's the authentic experience, Dave. Maybe they want the true authentic experience where some, for somewhere inexplicably FTR just somehow don't appear on TV. Maybe that's the key. <laughs> Maybe that's the key. Maybe. Ever. Yeah. <laughs> my my prediction uh, to Trish is that you will get, uh, I think you'll get FTR versus Aussie Open. I think Otherwise, it might be FTR and someone versus Aussie Open and Will on a night. But I do feel like the tag titles would have to be on the line. I just feel like New Japan is going to put a lot of effort into the Royal Quest because they understand the importance of the British market. The British market's always been an important role for the challenger brands in pro wrestling historically. Like when TNA was whatever, it could get 10, 15,000 over in England. You know, like it's mm. always been an important uh, space for that. Obviously, New Japan has some of the biggest, uh, you know, two of their biggest stars on their on their roster are British. Uh, so I do feel like they'll put a concerted effort into giving the best to hopefully, you know, revive that market, you know, mm. for themselves. Yes, and speaking of which, Red, I want to get back to your point about Shota Umino yes. because there is a question I, here from... I had to pull back because yes. I saw the question. Yes, there's a question here from at Puro Pizza Power, uh, the great... At Puro Pizza. Big fan of the show. Big fan of the show. Such a great shout out. Great stuff. Always on topic. Uh, 
really nice. Lovely, lovely stuff to see uh, on the Twitter feed when Puro Pizza Power has some insight. Uh, the question uh, here from Puro Pizza Power, I just like saying that. Uh, it doesn't have any S's in it either, which is perfect for me. Uh, many people see <laughs> unlimited potential in Shota Umino and the role he could play in New Japan Pro Wrestling's future. On a scale of 1 to 10, with 10 being the Kazuchika Okada uh, push of 2012, how fast do you guys uh, think the promotion should move with him when he returns to Japan? So what should Shooter's push be? How, On a scale of 1 to 10, how fast should he get the, the rocket? I would still take my time a little bit. I wouldn't put him in. I, would, I wouldn't have him beating whoever's champ first night in, first night back. Um, as amazing as that could be, it would get quite a reaction, I would imagine. Mm. I feel like I'd like to see him established in the company for a little bit, see where he fits in and whether he's going to align himself with anyone or if Moxley's going to be involved in that in any way. That's the interesting thing that makes him so different to everyone else. Yeah. Because uh, if, I don't know, if he comes back and, and Moxley's on the card and that's that's how he makes his return and they do a a Death Riders tour f- with Moxley in town for a while, that would be an amazing way to start. Uh, and then I think he could kind of like rock it from there. Um, so I don't know, like between one and ten, like a six or a seven, I reckon would be a pretty good, pretty good start. Are we looking, are we talking Jay White? level return are we talking are we talking more like no no okay so jay white would say about an eight yeah well i mean jay went straight in tana at wrestle kingdom yeah so <laughs> no pressure I'm, I'm not thinking shooter's gonna get that spot either okay i because, too, he's gonna come back in as a hot face right so you would think so. You need, a, yeah. you need a significant established heel for him to go up against. Well, they'll all be taken other than maybe evil. Yeah. <laughs> so what yeah. is he wrestle evil? Yeah, it's tough. That's a tough one. It's a tough first yeah. start. They're going to redo the whole Naito thing. He's going to come back and he's going to be repelled and he's going to do... And fail? Is that what you mean yeah, by the Naito thing? No, they're going to redo it because he is so popular and he's so big right now. And... You know, it's not just because of Moxley, it's because of his own work that he's done in Rev. I genuinely believe he's going to come over and he's going to fail. And they're going to build him to be that kind of guy who's chasing yet again and then reestablish one part of the new three pillars. I could see him debuting in a match against Jericho at Wrestle Kingdom. Oh, yeah. That's a great conspiracy. Yeah, that would make sense. They've already been paired up, though, at Forbidden Door. With, with a little bit of story leading in, of course. I don't know. You go, you, I don't think you go dry into Wrestle Kingdom, but, like, story leading into it could be pretty interesting. Yeah, imagine. I mean, I've heard I've heard a couple of things. I've heard like, not just, like, people, people like, I know Joel at the Super J-Cast is very high on Shota, and he, he wants him to get the Okada push. He wants the turn up on New Year's Dash and just challenge him. Doesn't have to win, just come back and challenge. Um and I could see I could see that happening from the perspective of I think a card is going to move. <laughs> wait, English. wait, 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 wait. So it comes back, loses to Yoshihashi 
<laughs> then challenges Okada. Yeah, he does a reverse Okada, <laughs> right? Yeah, he does the reverse Okada. He gets he gets Yoshihashi at Wrestle Kingdom just to do yeah. the complete Okada version. Um, yeah, loose to Yoshihashi, giving Yoshihashi the push, maybe. And then Yoshihashi challenges to get to redo his thing from ten years ago. Uh, yeah, I I wonder. I do I do think that that is possible. I I would lo- I just would love something that. To be fair, I think to and to some extent, Joel's probably is hoping as much as anything is like I would love them to give a reinvigoration because a big discussion, a big discourse, people have been saying, and it's been happening a lot, is like, oh, New Japan is getting older and older, and, older. and it is true. There's a lot of guys on top that are that are a lot older, and uh, and New Japan's aware of it too. And I think this next class coming back is really important, but luckily. Uh, we know how great this class is in terms of the talent that's out there with, with uh, Shuda and Yoda Suji and Ren Narita. Like they, they were, those boys were elite and Okan mm-hmm. has already come back, you know, and we're seeing what he's doing. So I could see it, but I, I'm with you, Dave. I think the, the, the Mox thing is the thing that makes me inc- really mm. curious because it's something unlike any kind of thing I've seen from a young boy where he's he's kind of had a gimmick from the moment he left and he's been attached to this mm. thing. And he was he was on Twitter this week talking about how he was he was sightseeing in Blackpool. Um so like there's yeah like there's there's no, a hint. yeah because nobody sightsees in Blackpool. <laughs> so it's clearly it's clearly something uh hinting to the uh hinting to that to that group. I think Jericho would be an awesome story. Um, oh yeah, Jericho would want to put him over, like he yeah. like yeah. because you look at what Jericho gave him in that Forbidden Door match, mm. like, like it was. I I look back and think that was such a concerted effort to get Shooter over, like it was. You're 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 on some. We're gonna make you look like a million bucks, and he he lived up to the bargain. He turned up in tremendous nick, but it was like. And the the story's there, the the callbacks there, and it's like the opportunity for for Jericho to have like his paws on that guy too, like this idea of like I was the big guy to kickstart this guy. Like if if you're a Jericho and you want to look back at your your legacy, a couple of guys like that that you've had the opportunity to yeah. to elevate and push. And if you're gonna do a potentially do a pass the torch tour, yeah, I mean he's mm. one that you'd want to you'd want to interact with. Well, the reverence you can have, like I know when when Tanahashi, when when Scott Hall passed away, and Tanahashi was talking about how Scott Hall had seen him when he was young and and decided to do the job for Tanahashi because he wanted to put him over because he said this guy's gonna be the future, and the reverence that Tana had for him, from a legacy standpoint, that can be such a you know integral thing for how people view someone, uh, and the impact they had on the business is not just how good they were, but how they brought people in and how they helped people get to another level or, and like a story that's tied there, like from the, I mean, the Wrestle Kingdom tie the bow of him putting on a young show to Umino in the, the lion tamer in front of his dad all those years ago. Yeah. yeah. Look at what I'm doing to your son, Red Shoes. <laughs> like, yeah, I think that would be, that'd be a nice little story. So I, that would be a cool thing to see happen. Um, But I, I think he's, he's a, uh, I, I don't know if Sh- I, when Shota left, I thought he's the ace. I thought he's the future ace. He looks like Tanahashi. He's like, um, I don't think he is anymore. I think he's going to be a top, top guy. I think Yua Uramura is going to be the ace. I think he's unfucking believable. And mm. he is, he is just a freak of every, he just, he gets over in every room he's in. Mm. Um, and he's, 
done does every style, but they those guys. There's so many good guys that are coming back. Mm. Um, so that will be the question: Do they see Shota as the as the ace? And if so, how they book him, or do they see him as you said, Red, as that Naito type character that will always be chasing the ace? Um, it'll be interesting to see, but it's really important, and people need to be really mindful of this. Whoever they pair him up with first is really crucial in terms of the story they want to tell, in terms of the long-term story. Who he's coming back and who he's feuding with initially will be really formative for his character and his direction. Like, Jay has always got a relationship with Tanahashi because of that. Um, and the fact is, you look at Jay's early... Like, look at Jay's first couple of programs when he came back. It's it's Tana, it's a Kenny, it's Okada. Like, Yeah, all the top guys, yeah. Yeah, so it's, it's really, like, hopefully, it's something like that. And as you said, Dave, it needs to be a heel. And if they don't have any, if it, you know, if it's, they don't, if they don't want to put him with evil because they don't have any other established heels, then import a heel. Yeah. And who better, really? I mean, that'd be great too. Like Jericho in Japan one last time with Shooter, crazy yeah. Jericho. And gets upset. And, yeah. Yeah. That'd be amazing. Puts him over. Yeah. Loses his absolute shit because he's like, oh my God, I just got beaten by this. I'm never returning to this country again. Good night. Yeah. <laughs> Good night, sweet prince. That's or, all uh, gives him respect. Yeah. He earns his respect, maybe. That'd be an interesting story, too. And Mox just, and Mox just floating out there somehow that I don't know how they're going to tie that in, however they're going to tie that in. I, yeah. I love that story that they're just tied together for forever. <laughs> like they're yeah. just going to be these connected just tissues. Whenever, whenever Mox feels like going to Japan and whenever he's allowed to, I think. Basically, yeah. And then Shooter's going to be there waiting for him. That's going to be an amazing reunion. That's going to be like the Golden Lovers cut hugging again. Like <laughs> when Shooter yeah. and Mox are in the ring together in, yeah. in a in oh. Corican. Oh my god! They'll, hey. they'll let off the fireworks <sighs> for them. Just... Imagine if like one day Shooter and Mox were in the tag league. Ah, oh, don't don't threaten me for a good time, Red. Because that could be something else. How cool would that be? I mean, that that G one tour was like that G one tour of Mox's is is generational. It was so much fun, but the fact that he had Shooter with him the whole way and teaching Shooter all the bad thing, it never made it made no sense for the character of Shooter who is Shooter was like the baby face ace. Like you've seen what he dresses in. He wears like he's pure Tanahashi. I want to be him. But it's like yeah. his two dads are Tanahashi and Mox. And it's just like a, you just couldn't get a more diverse uh, couple to be raising you as a son. And I just think it's yeah. it's his influences are clear. And I, I think it's I think it's it will make for something really uh and they really wrestle each other at Forbidden Door, which is cool too. So his two dads will be going at it. He had to watch his two dads fight, you yeah. know, like but he mm. for his affection to prove which is the best way. And, you know, Mox <laughs> Mox came out on top, so maybe she'd have learned the lesson. <laughs> yeah well they were great questions i really like the questions that we're getting now uh, i think the listeners are picking up on our approach and our tone and, and the things that we find interesting uh and this week's going to reveal even more of that as we uh look to explore uh what we found interesting this week in new japan pro wrestling and the broader pro wrestling discourse each of us was sort of bringing a, a bit of a topic and we'll talk to those topics and we'll see how we go uh, hopefully you'll get a bit of an insight into what we find interesting and compelling. Uh, I know for me, uh, I guess I'll probably start first. Uh, I know uh, the pro wrestling uh, 
discourse, that terrible word, has been fascinated by this week. And that is one William Osprey. Uh, and I have I have found this to be the most frustrating week of me sitting watching Twitter and knowing it's not a good idea to say anything. So I'm not going to say anything, but God, I want to say something. <laughs> is that why you're quiet? I was quiet. I had to be quiet because I was like, like didn't feel like picking fights this week. No, I didn't. I I'm a new man. I've said this before. I don't want to get into the discourse and make some sort of I guess become negative and have some like issue with people around these things. It's not it's just pro wrestling, but some of the takes are just uh absurd, ridiculous, insane. And so you just sort of sit back and go, okay, well, look, this is I don't want to be in a situation where I have to defend Will Ospreay. That's first that's first thing. <laughs> first step. I'm like, I don't want to have to do this. But I I there's a couple of things that I it's that I've noticed as of late. And and it's really frustrating. And it's about a story that I think could be interesting, but could also be bad. And it's and it's the obvious direction. Uh, this past week on AW Dynamite, uh, Aussie uh, Aussie Open and Will Ospreay, United Empire, uh, beat Death Triangle, and now advanced to the you know the semifinal of the trios tournament, where they will be facing Kenny Omega, the Young Bucks, the Elite. And then after the match, which is an important point, after the match, after TV they shoot an angle thing where Kenny Omega comes out and cuts a promo on Will Ospreay, which I think is purely designed for the hardcores, right? It's designed for the online wrestling engaged audience because it's not on television mm. and it's going to be distributed through all the social media channels and the like. And I feel like ultimately they're, they're building to a story that I think could culminate in the new Japan ring for that very reason, because it's not being, you know, the, the, the crux of it isn't being shot on AWTV. Where Kenny's basically, you know, talking about Will Ospreay's matches and blah blah blah, and I was like, "Oh no, we're not going to do this story. We're not going to go this way, are we?" And uh, you know, we're fighting over which, which, who Dave Meltzer loves more. But it, but it, but Kenny didn't. He wasn't doing it that. He was trying. The story Kenny was trying to tell was of, I gave you the my spot. Like you, you, I, you inherited my role, and you've let me down you haven't lived up to what my standard was so that was kind of the idea like you couldn't fill my shoes that simple that kind of simple story but i'm concerned because as soon as that story finds its way to twitter it simply gets reduced and it becomes down to who's the better wrestler between the two most polarizing pro wrestlers on like planet earth in terms of uh criticism and what happened, it also coincided with Will Ospreay's big week where Will Ospreay went from, he had a five and three quarter star match and he had a five star match in Rev Pro, then a five star match on AEW, meaning he had three five star matches in one week, which as a result has now moved him up to tie with Masawa, uh, I think at this point in uh, the all time five star ratings, which sent the internet into a blaze as people said, he's not better than, it's like, of course. We're not having who we're not having that argument. It's pointless. One man's opinion, yeah. but nonetheless, it sent the internet into a craze. And what was fascinating was was that people started to frame it as uh, this discussion that comes around for Will Ospreay all the time, where it's like they call back to the Seth uh, Rollins tweet where Seth was trying to compare bank accounts, and they were talking about how Will Ospreay might be all this great wrestler, but he hasn't drawn money, and he, he doesn't he hasn't got big contracts, and he doesn't have you know, as Kevin Nash said, merch sales. And 
I found that interesting. And that was sort of picked up. And Will Ospreay is an easy target to sort of go at because he's ultimately like people have a pre like they they have a sort of predilection to not uh, really like Will. So ultimately, it's an easy sort of kicking sort of uh, punching bag there, where people sort of team up and say, "Yeah, you know, he's he's not he's not as good as he thinks he is," which is fine. It's people's opinion, whatever. But what I found funny is people think it's a great way to dunk on him by doing this. But what they're not realizing, they're actually like dunking on an entire, uh, like they're, they're projecting what I would say is cultural imperialism. Because ultimately they're saying, well, you haven't drawn money here in America. You don't have a big American audience. Therefore, you're not relevant. This argument has come out and it's, it's a terrible position where people are saying he's an indie darling. And they're saying he's, he's like a, a Scorsese film that doesn't draw money compared to a blockbuster, but he's he's like culturally relevant, which is again ridiculous because that's not who Will Ospreay is. Will Ospreay is a blockbuster in a foreign market. Yeah, he as I said, he's not the A twenty four superstar. You know, it's not Midsummer coming through the fucking door. He's not there to tell these intricate, odd, different stories, and that's why he's he's the internet's darling. He is loved by. Meltzer because his style is exactly what Dave Meltzer likes to a T. Meltzer's format is designed for the type of character and the type of performer that Will Ospreay is. That that purely objective ratings format that Dave likes to espouse. It's not this argument that he is somehow this intricate storyteller and that that we must appreciate his intricate stories as opposed to those big blockbusters we see on our Western television. It's not the dunk they think it is. What they're actually saying is we don't value that because it's happening somewhere else and we'll only value it now that you're coming over to prove yourself on your AEW television and you can you do it against Kenny here. And it's like this, this, that's the, uh, that's the position people are taking. Whereas yeah. I would be much more akin to say the, the better equation of that thinking is like, okay, well, there are a lot of guys that are independent wrestlers or wrestlers in, in Japanese promotions that are incredibly intricate storytellers that do really detailed and depth, like rich work. And those guys may not have a household name in the States. Right. And so they're like your, your interesting stories that, that sort of like find their way, but they just need distribution. They're just, they're like parasite. They just need distribution. Like it's, and it's not like Bong Joon Ho hasn't been making great shit. He's been making great shit for 10 years. 12 years, 15 years. And then once it uncovers it, then people realize, oh, all this great stuff. Will Ospreay is not the face of that style of pro wrestling. Will Ospreay is a blockbuster wrestler. He is a broad, engaging, captivate all ages, everyone. He just hasn't had distribution. He just hasn't been seen on those platforms. And now that he is getting seen on those platforms, people are going to get really mad because he's going to captivate audiences. I'm sorry, he's just going to. That's his style. He's going to win them all over, yeah. He's going to win everyone over. And so if you're out there saying he's not going to get the big money or not going to get the merch sales, that sort of stuff, just wait. He's going to. And whether it's good or bad, it's in, it's inconsequential from my perspective. I just think that the argument is so silly because it's like you're picking him. <laughs> it's like I could get Kenny. I can get Kenny when Kenny was over there. It's like, yes, Kenny's telling weird shit. He's doing all kinds of weird shit. Like he's the he is the guy that wants to make art. Like that's him. Mm. And so when he came over, it was can his style translate to broad audiences? And he's proven yeah. it can. But yeah. Will Ospreay's not one of those guys. We know he's a 100% tick the box. He will 
he will attract any kid that sees Will Ospreay will go, holy shit, I like that guy. That's just what's going to happen. Brett's nephew is a yeah. better example. Who's this guy? He's a freak. And that, and I just think that the argument that's like, oh, you know, we, we can have, he can be critically acclaimed and, uh, and also not be the big, the big draw and that's okay. And yes, it is. I think the broader argument is still the case. I, I agree. I think the broader argument is still the issue. You are allowed to have critically acclaimed wrestlers that don't draw money because they serve an important function in any show or anything. Like they add richness and depth to a show and they add richness and depth to a promotion. And that's okay. But when you tell me that he's supposed to be the critically acclaimed guy and it's like, yeah, okay, he's critically acclaimed the same way that Marvel's critically acclaimed. <laughs> like he's like, it's good for that, right? And it's it's like rich for that. And that's exactly what he is. And there's no drama with that. He's going to be a relatable connecting, like he's going to be the type of wrestler people like. But if you put, if you brought out the type of, if you brought like Hiromu over, he could get over, but he's doing something different. Despy, yeah. he's doing something different. They are different type of characters trying to tell intricate, long, like long form stories that involve nuance and subtlety. And they don't, translate is easily across and they should be critically acclaimed but you know what sometimes those that are critics aren't the ones that are best to judge those situations the critics have their takes too critics have their own opinions critics have their own their own likes their own dislikes and so you tell me this critic it's one critic we're talking about one critic that's all we're talking about and so i read a bunch of stuff about people that like you know that will tell me that Yoshihashi, like I could read an article on Yoshihashi about how he's got all this great stuff he's been doing for 20 years. And it's like, oh, that's, that's lovely. Someone likes Yoshihashi. And <laughs> that's okay. But the uh, the argument and the position I've just found to be utterly infuriating that you that this thing is like, of all the people that we picked as our martyr, of all the people we decided that New Japan's representative on what New Japan Pro Wrestling is, is Will Ospreay, seems ludicrous. Because he is... He's an example of what New Japan can be, but he's not a reflection of what New Japan is because New Japan is a place for diverse characters with diverse stories they want to tell that have diverse styles that have a platform to do that. And he happens to be one of the most uh, successful and one of the, the most sort of athletic and, and sort of awe-inspiring, but he's not, he's not what New Japan necessarily is. And so I just think this argument that you have to be that, uh, yeah, that this, it just seems, it just seems silly. Like, what are we what are we what are we talking about? We're just talking about a guy who's he could he could beat Kenny or he could lose to Kenny, that could happen, whatever. But if it just gets reduced to we just want to see who has the best matches, I just I'm like, that's just not what that's not even what Will's trying to do. Like, no one is trying to tell that story, but it's going to be reduced to that story because it's the simplest narrative we can tell. And unless you get over in the US, unless you are seen as this um you know, unless you draw money and sell tickets in the US, you are not considered to be relevant. And I just think that Will Ospreay will do all those things if he so chooses to. But if he doesn't choose to do that, he can still be a big star in a foreign country doing his style that is attracting, uh, you know, engaging people in different ways. I just think that it's a, yeah, it's a reductionist logic to say, well, you know, he's, he's a Scorsese of fucking... I saw someone say that, and I was like, I, I was like, I could not believe someone compared Will Ospreay to Martin Scorsese. Yeah, he uh, he's too broad for that. Of course, he is. He's a like, 
you look at Will Ospreay and I think of him as like, say for a new fan wanting to come in and check out New Japan, he's a great entry point for all those reasons for the, the, that he's easy to watch. He's athletic. He's fun to watch. There, there isn't nuance to the story. So you don't have to get everything straight away to get Will Ospreay. You don't have to fit, but you know, Zach is a different story. You'd come yes. and see Zach and it's a little, it's more nuanced. There's a different style to a lot of, a lot of guys it isn't the big flashy shit you'd be kind of like asking yourself like what is this guy doing initially what's he talking about george michael for yeah yeah like what, what what's happening here i'm not really sure but if you come in and you introduce someone new to the product and go okay here's an entry point will osprey yeah and then go from there and watch him have matches with these different guys and then you'll start to understand the different guys and so to say that he's Scorsese, I mean, I like Scorsese movies, but if I was going to introduce someone to Hollywood, he's probably not where I would start. I'd start <laughs> with like Cameron or Jim Jarmusch, Jim Jarmusch, <laughs> or Spielberg. You know, like someone a bit broader. I think that's the point I was trying to get, Dave. Is that they're relying on Meltzer's criticism and Meltzer's ratings, and I think it's okay. But Meltzer likes that type of broader storytelling. He finds that engaging, where you have all the moves. That are, in, that are the sort of the, the the special effects, the CGI, and and a and a simple plot that people can engage with. Meltzer digs that shit, so he he's always giving Spielberg, you know, five stars. You know, that's what he's doing. I mean, I, I find it funny on this whole topic is like a couple of years ago, if I wanted to get someone into New Japan, I would show them either one a Naito match or a Kenny Omega match. Yeah. Now, if I want to get someone into you know New Japan, I'd show them literally a Will Ospreay match. Yeah. Yeah, Kenny was like that in New Japan where he's flashy and he was relatable in that respect. But Kenny had layers, so you could always say you can watch Kenny at one level and you can watch him at another level, like that sort of metatextual level that Kenny always operated at. And Naito's a little bit like that too because it's a kind of it's a pretty complex character and to really understand Naito, you've got to understand how he gets to that character. Mm. Whereas Osprey's kind of just like a loud Brit and a bit of a prick. And so everybody gets that. Most pricks that you meet kind of a bit loud and pricks. <laughs> Hello to all our, our little English audience. Uh, I love your stuff. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're Australian. It's built so, into us. Man, the internet's weird when it comes to this sort of shit, isn't it? Isn't it right? Because yeah. it's like what we're about to watch is literally like who's going to make the biggest film ever. And it's like, yeah, great. Like Avatar's going to make all the money. It's broad. It's, it's, I can see why you can get into the basic blue Pocahontas concept. You're like, okay, we're, we're here. With yeah. This. You can go deeper if you want to go deeper. If you choose to, but you don't really have to. Or you like, can just yeah. eat the popcorn and fucking enjoy the show, you know? Yeah. And we, you can try to seek greater meaning and it might be there, but it's, it's, it's shallow at best. Like it's there. Like <laughs> it might be a stretch. Yeah. Any, any place that has unobtainium is probably, that's probably hitting, you're hitting the dirt, you're hitting, <laughs> you hit the ground, but that does great business. That connects a lot of people. It's broad. It's that, but I do feel like sometimes the type of wrestler that Meltzer likes is those type of flashy guys. And so as a consequence, now granted people can watch that and the, the production value might throw them like, He's watching a Rev Pro show, and I mean Rev Pro production value has got a lot to left, lot to be desired. But it's still those type of performers that he he relates to, and I just think that it's kind of funny when someone's trying to tell me that like critically acclaimed and and blockbuster are two different things in pro wrestling. It's like I think that for a lot of times you look at those guys, they are both sort of critically acclaimed and blockbuster guys because the one critic likes blockbusters. So this 
and doesn't like WWE, the style that's there, because those guys, they're not allowed to do those type of things at the level that these guys do, yeah, right? Yeah. So yeah. it's just a situation where there's a type of moveset, a type of approach, a type of philosophy, and a type of story that can be told that doesn't have to serve a bunch of different factors. I think the complexity, it annoys Meltzer. So he likes that style of story. Okay, I just don't want to be having to defend Will Ospreay as the as the reflection of the critically acclaimed film versus the blockbuster, when we all know, anyone that's watching knows, he is the blockbuster. So it's it's what ends up happening is we get to this world we're living in right now where someone's trying to tell me that Marvel is cinema and that we've hit the height of these things. It's like, okay, great, but I'll still be over here watching my random A24 film and that's okay. And I have my wrestlers that are like that. I'll be over here espousing the virtues of Desperado and Tai Chi and these type of characters who I find infinitely fascinating, who are deep, who when you watch the first time, you like, there's something about these people, but I'm not sure what it is. They are the critical uh, watchers. They're the ones you have to watch with a discerning eye. They're the ones you have to invest in. They're the ones you have to commit to engage with, which is like any great any great art. It's not something that's easily, it doesn't come to you easily. It has to, It takes work to engage with this stuff. And that's fine. It takes discourse and it takes other people's opinions. It takes a collective insight to generate an understanding of this stuff. It's like, oh, that's interesting. I didn't see it like that. That's the type of stuff that I find infinitely fascinating. That's the type of stuff that typically critics find interesting. And I find that the most interesting people that to listen to are the, the many critics that are out there talking about pro wrestling. It's just, we've got a history of what Dave Meltzer likes, and yet we still fall for this idea that he somehow likes a particular type of underrepresented type of pro wrestler. When in reality, look at the top guys. They're all the top guys of all time. They're all these big blockbuster guys. <laughs> so the fact that the fact that Osprey is in the company of those guys says to me that he is that type of worker who just hasn't had the platform to demonstrate it the same way. And so when he gets the platform, it will come as no shock that he will enter into that pantheon because that's the type of wrestler he is, the same way that Kenny Omega did. Clearly starting to get now. Exactly. It's like when Tomohiro Ishii goes to America and people see him on that platform, they go, holy shit, who is this guy? It's like you give him the platform with the the opportunity with the, the broader scale and his type of wrestling will get over. Big Tom is a perfect example of... You don't need to know anything about Tomohiro Ishii. He will tell you what you need to know when he's walking down barely to the ring. You go, my God, this guy must have neck, back, knees, hips. He must have heaps of issues, right? Yeah. That's the type of wrestler that Dave Meltzer likes because he can. it's a self-contained type of guy. And I just think we need to just – it just frustrated me this week, lads. Like now I'm hearing arguments that New Japan Pro Wrestling doesn't have storytelling. That's what's happening in Reddit discourses. <laughs> Because oh will will Osprey is this type of thing and this is like are you are you shitting me like it's ultimately this is going to be a terrible time for fans of New Japan Pro Wrestling as we get the Kenny Omega Will Osprey uh, feud I hope it, if it goes to Wrestle Kingdom that's four fucking months it is going to be a hellscape on Twitter huddle around us here at WeWork Stiff as we try to navigate the fucking choppy waters that will be the discourse regarding that feud because as good and as hard as those guys work to try to make it something that is coherent around a like a apprentice master master apprentice couldn't fill my shoes story it's going to come down to who's got more five-star matches who makes more money who has more merch sales who's the bigger influence on pro wrestling it's going to be come down to that shit and it's the most reductive story possible i just think we fall into tropes so easily that it's either he has to be the best or he has to be the worst or it has to be this or it has to be that. 
And it doesn't allow any space for someone to just take a step back and think, hang on a minute. Are they telling me that he is, he's like meant to be this type of character? Well, everything I've seen the last two years from him suggests that that's not the type of guy he is. He's never been that type of guy, but it's just, let's all run with it. And it just becomes a mob mentality that moves us to a position where I don't want to be in a position where I'm having to defend Will Ospreay for being a certain type of wrestler. Cause I know he's, no, he's not. So it's an absolute straw man argument that I cannot have any chance at winning because the argument isn't even like the presupposition is off base. Like everything's off. So it doesn't, it doesn't lead to any productive discourse at all. None, yeah. zero, nil. It's like nothing. So it just needs to be highlighted that ultimately Yes, I think Will Ospreay is a great in-ring flying wrestler. He's, he's, as Dave said, he's a great first port of call. And if you're young and you're coming to pro wrestling, or if you're new to pro wrestling, he's such an interesting guy to watch because he's he's a freak. He's doing shit you just can't. It's like an action movie. It's like it's it plays broad. But if you want something more than that, if you're tired of having the same sort of approach, then you go somewhere else. And Will Ospreay knows this because if you look at Will Ospreay's development over the past year, past 18 months, he is trying to integrate those story elements into his matches. He is developing that. That's where he's that's why he's gotten so good. That's why his matches are consistently good, because he's telling an overarching narrative of multiple characters. He's getting better at that. Yeah. So once he gets yeah, all yeah. of those things together, he's going to be unstoppable. We know this. Well, I mean, why why do people want to play comparisons anyway like who's better kenny or will like fuck who cares how do you prove it yeah that's my <laughs> opinion like what will you want me to go oh, okay you're right i'm yeah. wrong yeah kenny's kenny's Your better yes, i want you yes favorite. please like, tell me that yes <laughs> let us know in writing that that i am right and you are wrong and on my <laughs> subjective opinion about a subjective art form yes well, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you this one right now. I had a real-life version of this, uh, like a real-life version of Twitter in my face at the gym where a guy, uh, he compared, he said to me, um, FTR aren't anywhere near as good as the New Age Outlaws. And I turned around <laughs> and I said to him, like, I was like, well, FTR, like, you know, I mean, they, they, they tell stories and, like, you know, they're based off history and everything and, the New Age Outlaws were, you know, they, they were there. I'm not discrediting them. <laughs> you, you've, you've got an opinion here, Red. Are you, are you no, telling but, me? <laughs> but, but the conversation went down the road of, like, New Age Outlaws were the, the greatest tag team of all time. And then, then I turned around and I was like, well, what about the Dudley Boys? What about a whole bunch of them? But you, you can't compare FTR to the New Age Outlaws. Because... Well, exactly. What are you comparing them on? That's the point. Like, what are you comparing exactly them on? It. Like, if you're yeah. comparing them on who's more popular than the New Age Outlaws would be because they're being watched by 8 million people? Like... That's not the that's not the right arbiter for it. Like it's not the right arbiter for anything. Like, what are you what are you assessing pro wrestling on, and for what purpose? Because it's, if it's in ring, it's certainly not exactly, and that's okay. Yeah. So it's like yeah. I want wrestlers that are telling in ring stories that that, or I like styles that talk back to, to to harken back to the past of pro wrestling or tag rules. Then yeah, okay then those guys are probably more likely going to be FTR than that. And that's what the argument is, Red. Like, but most of these, like Kevin Nash's presupposition that how much merch money did you make, what's your contract like, is saying that those guys are better because they were more popular. So hence they're better. And everyone's bringing out the fucking Al Snow argument here about these things. Like whoever draws the most money is the biggest star of all time. Yeah, the best wrestler of all time, whatever it is, if you drew, drew the most money. 
that is the argument that people are using against Will Ospreay because they don't want him to be seen as the best. And I think it's couched in a lot of this resentment towards non-Western presentation of pro wrestling. I think it's, mm-hmm. you are not, you cannot be, and it just so happens it happens to be a white boy that's doing it, but it's it was the same for Kenny and it will be, it's, it's the same for Okada, it's the same for those guys, it's the same for Tanahashi. It was the same shit of five stars, six stars in the Tokyo Dome. It's this idea that, they cannot be better than us. They cannot present it better than us because here is where wrestling exists. It's that that's that idea that is couched. And I understand that, you know, maybe they don't like to hear it, but that's the position they're coming from, wherever they like it or not. That's what they're saying because it's no surprise to me that Will Ospreay has been on US TV a couple of times now and the Twitter discourse has softened for him in terms of people like, I'm coming around to him now, but he's not as good as he said, but I'm coming around to him now. It's like, of course you are. Of yeah. course you are. Wait wait till you, you, someone gives him half an hour in a singles match and then they'll all be like, oh, I get it now. Oh, yeah. Oh, he is the best. Oh, okay. Like, if you want to really... Uh distill this argument down into a sense of what am I actually trying to say? Because I understand I've been a bit uh, frustrated with the discourse. I understand that. And I've sort of gone on a little bit of a rant <laughs> and it comes <laughs> off, it can come off a little bit pretentious and that's probably to be expected to some extent because you know, the type of show that we are and the type of things that we're interested in and the type of goals that we have for what we're doing in terms of uh, talking about story and narrative and looking at, you know, pro wrestling uh, and what connects us to it and what engages in it and what allows us the platform through which to communicate through it and with it and about it and just the sort of the, what it's potential and what it can be as a medium. Uh, That's kind of the directions that we go in terms of the types of things that we like. Uh, And it doesn't diminish other things. It's just this idea of sort of dualisms or binaries that get stuck. We get stuck in where it's this discussion about Will Ospreay, and it has to be this thing where he's being positioned in a certain way. And I think what I was trying to get to was just saying that ultimately, if we have arrived at a point where it is sort of the accepted position that Will Ospreay is seen as the critical darling versus, let's say, the Seth Rollins or the uh, the the Kenny Omega now as the sort of the blockbuster. If that is the position that we're going in, I just think it's a, it's a sort of a sad reflection on where we've gotten in terms of the critical discourse in relation to pro wrestling and pro wrestling criticism. Because I have nothing against the style of which Will Ospreay works, and I believe that over the last couple of years he has undoubtedly improved in his ability uh, to tell uh, stories or seize the function and the importance of his role in the broader narratives that exist within the promotions that he works uh, and has used those to elevate characters uh, that are not him, which is a really uh, big step for him in that sense. And I feel like you're seeing that work uh, play out and you're seeing that improvement now play itself out in in the way that he wants to tell this story with, with Okada and Omega, this sort of parallel story he's telling there against these sort of archetypes or of this, you know, this unattainable perfection of what is seen as pro wrestling uh, nirvana, you know, this scene of the, the best of the best, the, the highest stage you can reach. And the fact that he's trying to conquer both simultaneously is somewhat a, 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 cl- a nice, clean and simple story. Mm. 
and he has integrated elements into his game. No doubt about that. But my argument was if that is what we are establishing as the bar for the type of wrestler that is critically acclaimed but is not a blockbuster or is not someone that could become popular, seems seems sort of erroneous because ultimately Will Ospreay is everything that a popular wrestler is today. And he has all of the tools and has all of the capacity and has all the skill sets that make wrestlers popular. The only thing he doesn't have is the the platform because of where New Japan is in the broader pro wrestling landscape. And so this idea that his style is is something that's not for the casual, frankly, I think is ridiculous. Because Kenny Omega is a proof of that. The, the 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 guy that he's now going up against is seen as the guy that has been able to draw and do this on top and all of these things. And he is a even more nuanced version of Will Ospreay. Will Ospreay is better suited to connect across yeah, broad yeah. audiences than Kenny Omega because of Will Ospreay's commitment to this sim- these sort of uh these base stories that he likes to tell. Kenny likes to tell, you know, deeply nuanced long-term stories. Now he's proven that he can apply that to big blockbuster films. And that's really great to see that there's an opportunity for that, that that, that possibility is there. And I, I just think that the fact that we're having these two characters stand in opposition and we're having this discussion that one is seen as being popular and one is seen as being a critical uh thing and that they should stand as archetypes for those positions in pro wrestling discourse that uh that will osprey now stands for the critically revered underrepresented type of pro wrestler to me seems erroneous it just seems off Uh, to some extent i think it also reflects of how far we have fallen in pro wrestling discourse and pro wrestling criticism as a, a popular uh space because I'm not here to discredit people that they see, you know, clear narrative movement with Osprey and Omega and where they're going on this sort of feud towards Wrestle Kingdom, no doubt. And seeing these elements of story that are touched in and people identifying that and saying like storytelling, you know, uh, yes, they are, they are pretty fair and logical story beats and we can see them. So it makes sense. It hundred percent makes sense. And I'm not discrediting those as being valid. That's clearly the story that they're trying to tell. I just want my critically acclaimed wrestlers to be the same way I like my sort of critically acclaimed films, confusing, abstract, challenging, confronting, uh, not playing for the mainstream, no no block. I, I want the genuine article. So when someone picks a top guy as a critical darling, I want that person to be a reflection of all of the things that we expect in terms of the nuanced story, the stuff that won't translate across to casual audiences. They're the type of wrestlers that I think that should hold the mantle as the critically revered characters. I think Jay White has the potential to be the best version of that. Because if you look at Jay White, he has struggled with Meltzer. Meltzer struggles with Jay. There are matches where Meltzer will be very high on Jay especially in his Ibushi matches or his Okada matches. But when Jay is in control and it's a Jay-style match, Meltzer has struggled traditionally until recently. He's starting to come around to him and starting to move to that position. And in many respects, as Jay moves the audience with him, I think it also coincides with Jay getting onto AEW television again, which is another... But Jay's type of story where it's... Yeah, it is not... It's, I mean... I mean, I'm about to talk about it. It's not predictable in any way. 
it's it's all speculation, and then you're like, no one really knows where the fuck it's heading headed. He's a polarizing character, mm. not in the way that Osprey is polarizing. Osprey is polarizing in the sense of people see him as a spot monkey versus someone that's got some more, uh, something more to give, and people are tr- trying to say that he's got more than just being a spot monkey. When let's just be real, people that put you know put people guys on that do a lot of high spots and do all that crazy stuff, they'll get over no matter what. You know that's kind of the nature of the thing, and if they're put into a story that's written in an AW format where they get to cut promos and tell a story and then they add their high-flying moves, it will get over. But what uh, Jay White does is he integrates levels of story into his thing. And as a consequence, people can either see him as incredibly boring because he's not doing anything or he's he's stalling. Or why isn't he trying to make this match interesting? Why isn't he trying to do this? He's trying to tell a, a longer, larger narrative. He's trying to integrate... Yeah nuance and subtlety he's stopping himself from doing the moves he can do all the things but he stops himself from doing the things because it's not in service of the character it's not in service of the, of the story and as a consequence he is in many respects making himself less palatable to a larger wider audience for the sake of crafting yeah. a character that has a function within a broader tapestry that is new japan pro wrestling and so it helps to elevate other guys when they go against him as this sort of distinct, defined character that he can then bring things out of people. And for people that like engaging with wrestling and uh, discerning and trying to understand character and trying to understand subtlety and nuance, they're the type of people uh, and and Jay's the type of wrestler that those people will gravitate towards. Yeah. And that's what I'm sort of calling for. That's all I'm asking for is to say, if we're going to start identifying a character who is should be seen as a critical darling, it should be characters like that. Yeah. It should be, we should be moving wrestling criticism to the same space that we're moving all forms of art criticism where it's, it's yes, it's hyper pretentious. It is. It's full of people that are up their own asses around these things. But the reality is they're seeking a, a type of art form that challenges them. It challenges our position. It challenges our thinking. It doesn't repeat patterns. It doesn't get stuck in formulaic understandings or archetypes. It moves the discourse. It moves the populace. It moves us forward as a peoples. That's what that any great art form, and pro wrestling has this potential to move us forward by challenging us, by confronting us, by not presenting a certain thing that is a certain way, by by not holding our hand. I think for so long, you know, I, I was lucky in the sense that I have not been watching pro wrestling for 10, you know, for a decade as WWE did whatever it did. And I, but it's established this system, this, this way of thinking that is that, that we have to hold hands and, and guide people through a story so that when AEW does things, when they do something a little ambiguous, it's met with consternation and challenge. Oh, what are they doing? How there's no storytelling here. They're just going this way because it has not been laid out. And I don't believe we need to just accept and and surrender our uh, position as fans of this stuff in in search of the mythical casuals. Yeah, okay, have the blockbuster characters, have the big popular guys, but do not do that at the sacrifice of those narratively rich, engaging characters that have the potential to connect a different type of audience. But more importantly, they have the potential to move the genre to move the medium. That's what these type of critically acclaimed characters can do. They can change the world, as Kenny Omega likes to say, because they they create a new normal whilst existing within the landscape that currently is currently there. And I don't think Will Ospreay is going to change the normal. He is a perfect 
synthesized version of what the last 10 years of pro wrestling has been. That is what he is presenting. And now he is trying to uh, fit within the New Japan ecosystem. And to do that, he has to understand how he fits narratively. And he's working at that and doing a, a pretty fair job of that. But he's not the he's not the guy that should be revered as the critical uh, darling. We need to find critics that are willing to put themselves out on a limb and identify characters that are challenging, that are confronting, and we need to look and seek those type of discourses because they're the that's where the that's where the rich uh, discussion will come. That's where the rich insights will come. They'll come from the type of characters who you don't necessarily see as being. Uh, revered or drawing money but over time with investment and with people actually highlighting and identifying and helping people to discover these characters they have that potential and to me that's what pro wrestling is and can be a place through which we can connect through a character through an understanding discuss them and move them and highlight them to the point they become superstars and i think you saw that happen with kenny omega that is the story of him. He is his 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 ascent is not like Will Ospreay's. His ascent with Kenny Omega is this. He was telling these rich, nuanced stories, and they were making them more palatable. He understood that he had to do that with his work with the Bucks, and especially his work with Cody, that they had to make these things more accessible, and that's what they did. But he didn't sacrifice his commitment to nuance. Uh, he's still more accessible than other pro wrestling characters, but he's not as accessible, I don't believe, as Will Ospreay. Uh, whereas Jay White is intentionally obtuse, he's intentionally inaccessible. He's seeking you to invest into him, to understand what he's talking about, to see the subtleties in his character, to see the subtleties in the way his mannerisms, the, the things he says. He's asking for that level of commitment. And unfortunately, pro wrestling criticism, and to some extent, um, just overall interest is not there to the extent that people will be able to invest the time to identify these things. Uh, and if you do, you come off looking like a crazy conspiracy theorist like us. Just remember, wrestling is wrestling. Enjoy it. You're the match guy. Yeah. Why do I go through and watch wrestling from every single promotion randomly? This week, I have been assigned to go down the annals of wrestling and um, uh, I was like, you know, like, why would I watch wrestling and all that kind of stuff? And what would I watch? <laughs> why would you do that? And it was a question that was posed to me by Dave. I believe Josh and Dave had the conversation, but Dave actually asked me about it. And That's I how thought, our conversations work. <laughs> yeah. And um, I thought really hard about it. And uh, I wanted to go through New Japan when I first got into wrestling, which was in 1998. Oh, wow. and oh, yeah. that's a nice starting point red i like yeah. it yeah and the reason why i wanted to bring this up was because when i first got into wrestling it was like a 30 minute thing that would come onto our, our tv stations after hercules and xena yep. and i used to say to my parents when they're at the pub hey guys can we please go home so i can watch xena <laughs> and completely like not saying can we watch wrestling because my brother and my dad the whole time were like no that is you know it's, it's just stupid like why i can't imagine we... bruce being like that i can imagine I... you and say no <laughs> you and you and <laughs> not, definitely not bruce. he'd yeah. be like okay red i think yeah. that's a great idea i think we should go watch <laughs> that's true dad was supportive of it <laughs> that was, that's it. It's true. what, what is actually... this 
What is this stuff here? <laughs> yeah, tell me about this. <laughs> oh, this is actually amazing. Um, the, the great thing about wrestling is that wrestling is like for everyone. Um, <laughs> right, so, <laughs> it was actually my mom. My no mom said xenophobe. <laughs> <laughs> my my mum was the one who was uh, a really big supporter of it because um, in the 70s, her dad would take her to my grandfather, my grandpa Ross, would take her to go and see Killer Kowalski when they came to Sydney and all that kind of stuff. So like wow. my, my grandfather Ross was a huge wrestling fan. And uh, anyway, so, you know, we'd go back and mum knew exactly what I meant. And we'd go back. And so 1998 was like the start of my wrestling love. And I'd go back and watch these uh, WF 30-minute things of like Shawn Michaels and Undertaker and all that kind of stuff and blah, blah. So I thought to myself, but the question, when I got into wrestling first, what was happening in New Japan? So I uh, I, I jumped into the annals and I've gone, well, okay, so 1998. 1998. Who's popular in 1998? So 1998 was when I first did, and I've gone, you know what? We just had the G1. So I thought I would go through and watch the G1 of 1998. Very different time back then. And it led me towards watching a match between, oh, I'm going to brutalize this name. Thanks, thanks Jess. <laughs> Genekira Tenryu. Okay, Tenryu. Versus Hashimoto Shinya. Oh, Hashimoto. Mm, Hashimoto. And I said the day before, I want to watch one of the three pillars. Yeah. And I watched the match from August 1st, 1998. It was a G1 semifinal, whereas an elimination match. And the two of them beat the absolute fuck. There's no other way to put it. If you want to go and watch <laughs> New Japan and watch two guys beat the fuck... And see what strong style actually means. <laughs> Go and watch yep. this match. It is August 1st, 1998. It is Tenryu versus Hashimoto. Now, my notes basically go like this. Holy shit. What the fuck? <laughs> Knife edge chops. Real. Yeah, so, so Tenryu, just so you know, Red, Knife edge chops. Tenryu is the, uh, Ishii was Tenryu's young boy. Well, I didn't know that, yeah. but I learned about tenure from war and I went down that rabbit hole. That's where Ishii was a young boy at war. Yes, exactly. So um, that was originally what I was going to talk about because it's, it's only like a 14-minute match. Yeah, and, strong style, man. That was and, that was and, it. And the actual first wrestling move occurs at the 12-minute mark. <laughs> so, Is it like uh, an under egg or something? Yeah. No, it was actually uh, it was a power bomb, and then it led oh, into yeah, a right. pass move. So then I was like, all right, cool, the G1. All right, let's go to the G1 final. All right, so that was Hashimoto versus Kazuya Yamazaki. Okay. Kazuo Yamazaki. All right. So we all know the reason why I picked this because 1998 was when I got into wrestling. So basically what happened during this match that really surprised me was Dave asked me what surprised me. He said me a whole like guideline of like, you know, how to break it down. And what actually surprised me was the fact that I was watching a match from 1998. Now, when you compare watching 1998 to WCW and WF and everything was you notice straight away that it's an older style. Whereas this particular style would hold up today. 
Like, I'm not even joking. Like, if you went and watched this and then compared it to what's happening today, it would blend in so perfectly. Like, there is no doubt 100% like Nakamura, uh, you know, all these guys have come through and everything. (laughs) But the thing for me, though, is that when I watch older matches and I go through and watch the, you know, the Fed and WCW and all that kind of stuff, you notice straight away how different than slower it is. No, this is 100% exactly what we are used to now. Yeah. That, that, that is what blew me away the absolute most was that, you know, it was it was slapping. So lots, lots of moves as well in this one, right? Well, I mean, okay, so the match starts off with this whole fill-out process. So, the, the match I watched on August 1st compared to August 2nd, the the August 1st match, just so you know, if you've never seen it, just go and watch it because you literally have Tenru and um, Hashimoto. They, they I've never seen such aggressive slaps. Like you watch slaps now. Mm. Like these knife edge chops, they are knife edge chops. Oh, brutal, forget yeah. Ric Flair. We forget all that stuff. These are like, it's like a 14 minute match, right? But the two of them start the match off with just slapping the shit out Rick, of me. Do you think it's interesting? It's a funny you picked this match, especially Hashimoto this week, because I know this yeah. week has been a lot of talk online about, you know, there's a lot of the Eddie Kingston stuff about what a what a star, what a pro wrestler looks like. Mm-hmm. And Shinya Hashimoto is is an interesting character in terms of his physique, the type of wrestler, the way he looked. Do, um, do, you, do you want to know what I call him? Call I'm interested. Uh, Kevin Owens meets Nakamura. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, he's an interesting build, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, he's like a big boy. He's a he's a big boy, and like I don't think I've ever seen someone deliver <laughs> kicks. I've never seen anyone deliver kicks in such a way. Like when those kicks go in, it's like watching UFC. It's like actually watching like. Get fights like those kicks go in hard. The snap and the return, the recoil on Hashimoto's kicks, where he snap in and kick back. The match with Antenria, uh, it's a very straight away slap, beat the fuck out of you. Like like straight away from the get go, it is slap, beat you, beat you. <laughs> like I said, it's about ten minutes before they actually do a real wrestling grapple. It's just two dudes beating the piss out of each other. Yep. So. That's why I led straight into the um, you know, the main event, the the G one final. So my takeaway from it was, as I said before, you could put that up against G one today, yep, and you would just go, Yep, that fits in perfectly. Yeah. Whereas that was my biggest takeaway was if you watch wrestling from nineteen ninety eight from the Fed, WCW, whatever you want to watch. There is a noticeable difference between today's wrestling. Oh yeah, for sure. And yeah, that. Absolutely. Whereas when I was watching that, I was so engrossed, so into it straight away. They they feel each other out, and you can tell straight away they respect each other. Much more slower to start with, and you know the the two of them had this whole process they would go through. It's really really important when you're watching this match to understand that like you know, I didn't know anything about their storylines whatsoever. But when uh, Kamazaki starts laying in the knees, the crowd starts reacting in a certain way. They start being scared. 
Like they legit start being scared because he is laying into the knee over and over. I mean, I'm talking like dragon screw, dragon screw, uh, turnbuckle, like, you know, wrap around. Like he's just going for it. And this guy is clearly a submission artist. The Japanese crowds emote. <laughs> they don't just, just cheer. Yeah, they're with you. Yeah. Um, watching a New Japan match where it's just Japanese commentary, mm. you are solely focused on the crowd and the wrestlers. Yeah, a lot you of I mean? a lot of a lot of the puro purists will tell you that. Yeah, yeah, and it just it makes it really special. You know what I mean? Like it's a really really cool thing to actually watch with and engage with. And don't get me wrong, I don't watch any of the New Japan stuff now with Japanese commentary. I watch it with English commentary, but it's it. When you have, when you don't have the commentary, you, 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 all you have is the match and the storytelling in the ring. You got to figure it, it out. Like a, yeah, a, like a reverence for the authenticity of, of, of it as well. Like then it becomes purely a Japanese product that you're trying to experience yeah. and take in. And like yeah. you know, you can't understand what they're saying, but you certainly can understand the tone of. You of feel what it. Excited about and feel and. And everyone, this everyone, this just to bounce that point, everyone this week coming up this this Monday, uh, New Japan's first show back at Corroquin with a cheering crowd is going to be in Japanese. They don't, they're not the English commentary out there. So the only way you're going to be able to experience it this this return will be Japanese. So everyone's going to get the the true authentic experience of a live crowd, a cheering crowd, and Japanese commentary. for the first, uh, the birth live show of the Burning Spirit Tour on, on Monday, September 5th, uh, with Suzuki versus Big Fucking Tits. Everything they did in the match was impactful and deliberate. And that's the thing that I took away the most was that you could take a 1998 match, yep. put it into 2022, a and there's no difference. Special dudes like those. Um, I was just looking as you were talking there, Red. Just looking up on cage match those those matches, and this is not to have a. I'm not going to get into a ratings discourse, but it's it's one of those things to talk about. Was Dave gave the uh, old Melter gave the uh, the Hashimoto Tenru match four and three quarters, so it was clearly a, a a match at the time. And if you look at it, Hashimoto, had like four. He had like four four star matches from Dave mm. in two days. Uh, so yeah. it was like. Uh, so everyone talks about these iconic runs that people are having. It's like he was wrestling twice on that one night. He wrestled Kojima the same on that the night of the final. He wrestled yep. Kojima the same night. Uh, yep. So yeah, Hashimoto Red. I, I've always found him. Uh, he's one of those characters I, I would love to to really get into because I think he's a product. It's sort of a forgotten product of history because of what happened with the whole Anokiism and the. Um, the rise of the shoot fighters and Hashimoto leaving to start his own promotion uh, and left and obviously became, um, and, and obviously died uh, very young at um, at 40. So uh, you don't sort of have him with the other guys. And that's the thing. Like remember when you're younger and everyone would talk about these, these wrestlers from Japan, they were sort of, it was mythic because we didn't have access the same way that we obviously do yeah. now. And people would, I think there was a backlash to that because people that had access would talk about these matches and say, these guys are just the best. And you see a guy like Chono or Nagata or uh, Nakanishi come over to WCW or, you know, Liger. I mean, Liger's a different case, but, or Muto's a different case. But those guys in the late 90s came over and they sort of got stuck into the TV wrestling style and they weren't able to really 
show out. I mean, Ultimo Dragon did, but his style was so different that it wasn't necessarily um, the sort of stuff that was talked about. The you know, Liger's different because that was early nineties, and when you saw him, I remember seeing that's the first match I ever watched was Liger Pillman. I was like, "Is wrestling like this? Is this what wrestling is?" Yeah, yeah. I was like, <laughs> uh, yeah. I would say like the West loved Japanese guys that had like a like a like an aesthetic, like a visual flair about them yeah. too. Whereas like dudes who just rolled over looking like a big Japanese dude, yeah, they never really gave him the well, time. I mean, Tenryu was on Tenryu was on the Royal Rumble. Like he just he was on yeah. like one of the early Rumbles. Like he's Tenryu. Like okay, yeah. Um, yeah. and it's like, and they and that was they did the whole Mitsubishi thing with him at that time. Like ridiculous stuff. Like that was that was how he was presented <laughs> when he came across. Yeah. So when you hear these stories about like. They they become these mythical legends. Like I, I I said I got to see Chono at WCW, I got to see Nagata, I got to see uh Keiji Muto, but I never got to see Hashimoto. Like he was this yeah. talked about legend that's just existed in the ether, you know? And yeah. um and, and that's why I literally sorted him out. Like he's the one guy out of all of it that I haven't seen much of him, but he has this whole mystique about him. And it's crazy too, because the guys on the side taking photos. They're wearing WCW Nitro T-shirts up in the rafters are two Japanese flags and an NWO flag. Yeah, because NWO Japan was running wild back then, bud. Yeah. The partnership with WCW was real. You know, that's yeah. that's, that's the only reason I was so consciously aware of New Japan Pro Wrestling was because I was a WCW fan growing up. And, like, I, I remember the World Cup of Wrestling, you know, like Starcade 95. Like, that was my forbidden door. And like you just got to see these different presentations, but they were never like what they, you know, what you know, Melter would write about or what people would talk about. And as we got, you know, as the generations got older and people had access, you know, when I sort of fell out of love with wrestling for that 12 years, that was when the access to, you know, your Kentas and your Morishimas and these yeah. sort of Noah guys, your Marafujis, they became the next generation, you know that became the, the sort of the story. New Japan was not talked about. The the guys that people wanted to see, the Japanese exports people wanted to see were those Noah guys. And um and you sort of look back now, you think, you know, that's it's so people had access to that and they grew up on that. Um but yeah, I think Hashimoto, some of the photos I've seen of him where he's like got the bandages on the head and like work like he just looks like an absolute fucking boss. And I just don't you don't see that type of presentation with the you know just just he just you don't see that type of character enough. And I just thought, you know, this week when everyone's talking about, oh, you know, to be a star, you got to work and, you know, be in the gym, doing all that sort of shit. It's like, he's, oh, he's fucking a, disco. Disco Jesus. Inferno is going to lecture us on. Oh, oh, mate. He's like, oh, it's disrespectful to the business and blah, blah, blah. It's like, you're a joke. Yeah. You would not have lasted 12 seconds with, with Hashimoto. Like, yeah. seriously, yeah. like, what are you even talking about? Yeah. But that's, I just think that's a really important point to mention. You know, <laughs> I sent like, him a gif of Andre the Giant going, I never exercise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what did he ever do in the business? Yeah. I want to find a boy. And Hashimoto is literally the, like, if you ever had a wrestler that I would fall in love with. He's got a, yeah, he, he's got that, he's got that look red. I was like, yeah, I think you might, you got, yeah. you got a type. We all know you have a type. Yeah, it's like a Husky Harris. It's like, a, it's like, a, you know, I, I like my certain type. But, you know, I mean, like, you know, then I have to address the next stage of what Dave asked me to talk about, and that is the moves. And talk about the moves. I have to be honest right now, uh, Hashi, 
And that's why my notes say Hashi. That's what I called him. It's my little pet nickname for him. Um, He probably has the greatest standing elbow drop I've ever seen. So he does elbow drop right where he basically winds his body and kicks his legs out. Now, it is one of the most innovative ways from 1998 that I've seen anyone deliver an elbow drop ever. No one does it. But he kicks his legs out and completely drives his elbow into the person from a standing position. I have never seen anyone. Is it do similar that. to Mudo's one? When Mudo does yeah, the no, no, Mudo's are faster. He's faster. Yeah, this is slower, and he those... kicks his body out. Yeah, because you, you got to think all those boys are in the dojo together, so they're probably looking yeah. at each other. And Hashimoto's like, I can't do it that quick. What can I do? Oh, <laughs> I'll, yeah, I'll put all the weight into it. He was one of the three musketeers. It was him. Chono. Chono. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And everyone, and because of the rise of New Japan, you know, Chono's on every big, like every, every big show, Chono's just there doing commentary wearing his glasses. And obviously Keiji Muto is still wrestling in Noah. um, And most likely I would say probably get a match at Wrestle Kingdom as part of his retirement tour. Um, So they're, they're ever present in people's imagination. And yeah, Hashimoto is just sort of not forgotten, but it's just because he's not, He's just not front of mind in terms of modern presentation. And I even admit, like, I haven't seen much of Hashimoto at all, other than a couple of you know matches that were redubbed during the um during the pandemic. I watched a couple of those, but yeah, I think uh, it's great, Red. I think if people can look for, I think it's important to Red in a lot of respects, man, about like the history and because New Japan has such reverence for their history, it's so important to the presentation. As I said, like Tenru being. The boss, like Tenru being a senpai to to Ishii, and when you see Ishii's knife edge chops in the corner, you know where they oh, come yeah. from. You yes, see exactly where they yep. come from, and so to understand and to see those sort of characters and realize, okay, well, you're watching pro wrestling now and thinking, I wonder who grew up liking Hashimoto. You know, like I wonder who was influenced by him, and I wonder who took that from him. And being able to see that that history and that connective tissue, it's really important. You know, like, and I think that. I mean, Chris Charlton does a great job, and he—it's not like New Japan hides from its history. I mean, probably to its detriment. You know, they still have, <laughs> they still have Pegasus Kid on the on the junior rundown. You know, like, <laughs> but they don't hide from the fact that that's that of the the characters they've had in the past. You know, and mm. I think that any opportunity for him to be brought up is is always a good thing because I think um, a, a sad byproduct of a of a rough the Dark Ages probably probably one of the biggest victims of the Dark Ages. You know. Some of the people that are listening to our show, like because our, our sort of show has been sort of designed to be as a welcoming space where we don't pretend to be like educated on these things. <laughs> we we know a little bit and we can sort of, as I was saying before, we can sort of share those things and sort of cultivate a bit of an understanding collectively because, you know, people can gatekeep this stuff. They can. They can make it their thing and they want to be like, I know all these things and I have these great insights. But what the point of this stuff is, is like, these people might be new to New Japan Pro Wrestling the same way that when we first started, we were new to New Japan Pro Wrestling. And some of these names, we had no clue. Like, we were learning about people that were like, oh, is that a thing? Like, that person was a champion. Like, oh, that was interesting. And you pick up little things along the way. And like, Hashi, as I said, Hashimoto is one of my sort of spots I freely admit. It's like, that's a, like a that's like a dark spot. I don't have much. I know of the man. Or I know of the myth mm-hmm. of the man. But I haven't really seen much of his stuff. And so the opportunity for people to think, oh, well, I might have a week and I've I got nothing to check out. I might just check out this thing of Hashimoto and and see 
who I think I would I would love for people to check it out to sort of think of who did they you know who do they think is inspired by that guy because I always I, from the stuff I saw him I thought he had he had um, physical charisma that reminds me of Shingo Takagi where mm-hmm. he just has this thing where he just makes everything feel big. Yeah. That was how I always felt Hashimoto was like, it was like, it's a big match because Hashimoto's standing there in the corner, just looking at him and putting his hand up and doing his little thing, you know, like um, those kind of things where it's like, and I, I like that. I like being able to see someone and, and think, I wonder who's like that today. You know, I'm always more fascinated in those things. So for, for fans to be able to rediscover that and sort of enrich their experience of the modern day product, I think is really Really good. I'm glad you got the assignment. Good idea, Dave. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is called Red's Review. <laughs> okay. I, was, I, thought, I, I thought it was a pretty simple one. Why Red's into wrestling? Like, yeah. <laughs> and that's why I'm into wrestling. Yeah. Yeah, thank you, Red. That's why I'm into wrestling. That's Red. a working title. It's, Red's it's, review, it's, it's, why it's, I'm into wrestling. Big fight feel. It's first week. Yeah, need needs a bit of flair. We'll get there. They're going to sting eventually. We'll, we'll it figure it out. Yeah. No, no, no. I like that. And that's why I'm into wrestling. Well, speaking of watching wrestling and um, <laughs> and different opinions on wrestling. Oh, um, God, here we go. Oh, oh okay. Go. <laughs> Prepare. <laughs> so, as you both know, I've been a crook for the last week. So I've been kind of watching some random shit and, you know, I've discovered some cool stuff. Uh and all this is sort of what I watched kind of framed a bit of a an idea, not necessarily about what I think is going to happen between Jay and Tamatonga, but like a potential a potential narrative, uh, some similarities to a certain to a certain point in time, and where it could potentially lead in a way that I think could be like compelling. That's basically how I'm conspiracy Dave's conspiracy, conspiracy booking corner this week. <laughs> um, Josh, have you seen? There's like so one of the channels I came across was Joseph Monticello's like yep. wrestling es- yep. essays. Yep, his Moxley one is great. The Moxley one, I didn't get a chance to watch that one, yep. but I will do that. He does some really interesting stuff. Um, looks at promotions and different things, but one one of um, a lot of it's long form. One of the things that he does is he looks at years in wrestling. I think he's done like four different episodes, four or five or six or something. And uh, I just randomly started watching one of the years. And I watched the year he did on 1992. And uh, basically he watches like 300 or so of the consensus best matches for that year and then gives, you know, a rating on like what he feels was the best promotion. So this is all opinion-based stuff. Yeah, he's the best promotion for the year. The twenty best matches and the twenty best wrestlers. So early nineties, yeah, is known for like all Japan wrestling being pretty significant in that era. Like that's the Masawa Kawada sort of series. Yeah, the four of the four pillars. Yeah, so a lot of a lot of stuff sort of happening in that. Point. But it's also it's also like the year where Sting had a cracker year in WCW, feuding with Vader and that McFoley as well. Uh yeah, Cactus Jack. It's Cactus Jack. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think he has a couple of matches with Vader that year. 
Anyway, so but in the top 20 matches, Sting's in a few of them. Um, and so when he was when I was watching the video and he gets to his 20 favorite wrestlers, uh, it gets to number two. And I was thinking, oh, Sting's gonna be number one. He sort of littered through these matches. And Sting was number two. I'm like, oh fuck, so he's number one. And number one. And this is what sent me down this rabbit hole uh, was Bull Meccano. Huh. Mm. So this intrigued me big time. And in one of, and then in the 20 best matches, I think number six overall was Nakano versus Aja Kong in like their, their rivalry blow off match. Right. Yeah. And he said that, of all the all the matches that year, it wasn't necessarily the greatest technical match or anything like that, but it was the most emotional. It was the best story. Uh, and it was the most intriguing sort of story overall for that year. And Nakano had a couple of other great matches in there and they, they did a tag and different things anyway. Uh, so this is kind of like my rinky-dink breakdown of that feud and then the potential uh, parallels between Jay and Tama and where it could go as a result of where Nakano and Kong went. So this is my conspiracy sort of booking idea. Dave, can I cut you off for one second? I now legit feel like I'm listening to a podcast and I'm 100% invested. (laughs) I've just been buried. (laughs) <laughs> thanks <Rick. laughs> um is jay going to become a golfer is that what is this what the story <laughs> yeah funny that but no. <laughs> um so bull and Aja, right so they started in all japan they went through the dojo tama and jay went through the dojo not at the same time yeah these are these are like loose parallels they're not it's not just like definitive same no. story or anything like that uh they were in a faction together Tama and Jay were in a faction together. There was a split as a result as a result of something, and then so same thing happened there. And then as a result, these two fucking hated each other. Nakano and Kong, like if if you get the chance to go back and check out a feud, it's it's a really rich feud with like murderous <laughs> matches. They had this one cage match. I don't know if you've ever had the chance to see it, but it's. Fucking insane. I've never seen anything quite like Is it. Is the leg drop one? Yeah. So Nakano wins the match with a leg drop off the top of the cage, like a Hogan leg drop off the top of the cage. And then... Fuck, and- that's insane. She bounces. Yeah, she bounces. immediately bounces to her feet and then climbs out of the cage. But also, Red, there's like fucking... She stabs Kong with scissors. She gets out, what? The-, she gets out the nunchucks at one point. Alondra Blaze or Medusa's out there fucking throwing other because there's factions on the outside. They're all wrestling and throwing weapons into the cage. It's fucking insane. All Japan and, women's. That's everyone talks about it. It was something else. And then there's this amazing spot at the end. Once she wins the matches, <laughs> one of the women starts yelling something, and then they all go back into the cage. And there's so there's like 10 women. And they cut a promo and then they throw the mic. And then one of them, someone else picks up the cuts a promo and fucking throws. So there's like ten mic drops <laughs> in this promo, and the crowd's gone fucking nuts. It's it's insane. So the story of Bull is that she's the the ace effectively of all Japan, and 
Um, and Kong is kind of like chasing her. It's a really bloody feud. And after, but after a period of like these sort of matches that are really vicious and it's kind of like, it's like the feud. After a period of time, there's, they kind of, you can't, they can't help but respect each other. And so for some reason, they end up tagging together. And uh, in the, at the end of the match, to win the match, Aja ends up doing the leg drop. So she does Bull Nakano's leg drop from the top rope. And the can and they win the match, and then there's this really emotional kind of embrace at the end where they sort of come together. But then off the back of that, further down the end of the at the end of the year, they, even though there's mutual respect, competitive spirit is still there between the two of them, and they end up having this sort of like epic match, um, that is like this emotional sort of end to the to the rivalry and. And Nakano sort of passes the torch and Kong finishes her with Nakano's move at the end. So that's a kind of like quite a cool story. Um, but where the where the, the, the parallels between these two things is, like I said, so the same faction, they split hatred for each other, this long murderous feud. So this hatred for each other, I feel like is at the point where Jay and Tama are at right now, right? And they're about to start this feud off the back of their G1 match going to power struggle. And what I want to see is this not just being a like collar and tie start to a match. I want this to be, my idea is that like this would be really cool if it was booked like a blood feud, like if it became this really hateful sort of feud um, with Tama's history with Bullet Club and, and that kind of thing. So would he and, be the aggressor and, there, Dave? Would Tama be the one that would initiate that? Like, just from a character perspective, being the one that was wronged? I hope so, based on what Dave's saying. Yeah, I think I think that would make the most sense, given his history with Bullet Club and, and uh, where they're at currently. Um, particularly to start it off. But... For him to continue to chase Jay and pester Jay, I feel like Jay could really kind of, it could start to get under Jay's skin. Like you see it in the loss. Mm. So I feel like this match, Jay's going to be wanting revenge. So maybe he'll come out pretty hard too. Maybe, yeah. As, as soon as you said it, I, I started thinking, because you think of how Tama responded to the win. He was very content. He was like, you know, I, I've proven that I, I'm no longer that guy. I'm a new guy. That I belong and here. And I belong at level. top, and yeah. I I feel like I've I've re- rediscovered Tamatonga, like I've rediscovered myself. And you wonder if that element of of is going to even eat further away at Jay, like this idea that there's no way that I kicked him out and he he's gotten better. There's no way that that's happened. There's no way that he beats me. I'm going to drag him back down. I know who the real guy is. I'm going to beat it out of him. Like the frustration of being. Like Jay, like I think it could be potential that he's trying to recover a loss, you know. And I hope that 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 sort of drags something a bit vicious out of Jay. Mm. I'd like to see that. Like I don't like we talk a lot about sort of booking the idea of booking Jay as a face, right? Well, yeah. has he gone all the way heel yet? Yeah. Does he has he gone all the way heel yet? Has he gone far enough to a point where he isolates himself? 
and he gets turned on effectively. Well, that and I, I'm with you in a respect there because I've been on this thing of like he's turning face, he's turning face, and then he had that match with Tai Chi, and where Gato got Miho Abe in peril, and and Jay was like sinister, like okay, yeah, let's do that, let's do that. I was like, well, that's a bit evil. Like that's a that's a <laughs> like like you don't touch Miho, and it was, but it was like this sense of. Oh, are they going to just double down and maybe go? Let's make him go full. Let's make him break bad, really bad. Yeah. So, well, so my idea, my the idea around this would be that then for this feud to continue and for it to become like a long running feud, then it needs to go past Wrestle Kingdom. So, I, I don't necessarily see. I don't necessarily. I used to be on the the idea that like a turn for Jay should happen sooner rather than later, but I don't know if I agree with that now. I kind of like I like the idea if if they're gonna keep Tama face, then having having a like a real rivalry for him keeps him at a high level without him necessarily having to be champion because I don't know if he's gonna become champion or at that level of like a Carter. What if? What if it, I'm just speculating here, Dave? But what if at Wrestle Kingdom, Okada wins as we expect Okada to beat Jay, right? So we expect that if that's the main event, we expect Okada to get his spot. And then it, what if Tama does something that night that's successful? He gets something successful and he gets this like thing. And then Jay fails again at Wrestle Kingdom, which is the Jay White story. Mm. And then out of resentment and hate, he takes it out again on Tama Tonga. He just says, you're the, I'm just going to beat the shit out of you because you're seem to be loving life. And, and I don't like that idea. And that's how you develop a feud. It doesn't have to be over a belt. It doesn't have to be anything. It can just be that that's where you kick, you really fully kick off the blood feud because it's this idea of Jay's got something to do post that without having to turn face and you can just go without fully, having to chase the belt, yeah. without having to chase the belt and just goes fully into, I just want to, to, to turn this, like, I just want to take all my resentment and all my frustration and everything, take those nine fucks out on you, you know? Yeah. And I think that that could be a, that could be something to give him something juicy to jump into. And if they're going to, if Tama's going to stay face and he's an over baby face, you're right. He needs a captivating heel to work with and new Japan, to be honest, they need, they need over heels. So. And yeah. And I, and I, and I don't like, if Jay is going to become face effect eventually off the back of something to do with Bullet Club, I think that like in the um, Nakano-Kong thing, there can be an alignment with Tama, but there doesn't necessarily have to be a character change as such, maybe a little less of the arrogance, but this idea of like Jay is a white meat baby face, I don't, I don't see that as a selling point. Part of what makes him intriguing is um, is um, the kind of the 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 character elements that make him such a good heel. So why why does like New Japan does this really cool job of like where where guys sort of like we've talked about before they sort of float on that heel face sort of line yeah so why does he he doesn't have to do the full flip into a into a face character and i think that if you were 
going to do that with Tama down the line, then that would be a really great way to have them still have competitive spirit against each other. Mm. They could run that story and it could be, instead of, say, like a passing of the torch between Ace versus Ace, it could be like uh, like a mutual respect thing between former mentor um, and the history they have through Bullet Club. Because their dynamic is so unique, if you think about it. Their dynamic is so different. Tama being the one that brought Jay in, Tama being the very experienced guy, but Jay being the uber talent that has elevated himself to be seen as and, the leader. And gotten there quickly. Yeah, and so he's done a lot of what Tama have never was never able to do, but Tama is saying that what I'm good at and what I bring is something that you have yet to master. Like you're not able to bring a team together. You're not able to do any of that. I am always did that. You can't do that. And this idea that they... they ultimately could fill the the gaps that each have as they fight for their own. And that could elevate Jay to that level where he wins a G1 or, and then wins it, yeah. you know, through realigning with his mentor, but in not in a, a, the faction where it's all backstabbing and that, but it's actually lifting each other up. By, by, by beating each other down. <laughs> like, yeah. you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I mean, look, it's a, it's a, it's a stretch for sure. But I just kind of saw some stuff by watching some of that content and um, sort of seeing the progression of those stories. I was like, oh, okay, so there's some similarities to a certain point. Um, and they had this, they had this really kind of great narrative between them where they were, they hated each other, and then their characters never really changed, but they respected each other. And then at the end, it was like, you know, like only women wrestling could really do. It was like an emotional embrace and mm. it was very touching and they were crying and all those sort of things. I don't expect that from Tama and Jay, but but that just made, it made the story so powerful. And I'm like, okay, well, there's rather than just have like a, just a feud or just a match, why not make it like a long running thing thing and keep the story of Tama and Jay going for a longer period of time and have like this kind of really brutal kind of uh, rivalry between the two of them that, that lasts six months a year. Mm. And then, and then, and then it morphs into something else from there, but continues in a, in a different way. Because the, because where Tama is at now, where he's at, it's un, like, it's undeniable. Like he's got the crowd. He has them. Yeah. And if you're going to want to keep that going, he's selling merch, keep, keep him in a prominent role uh, and aligned with with Jay as a, as a rival, I think that's cool. He can always kind of, you can always revisit it along the path and it can change and morph and come different things. And... The beautiful thing about Tamar is he's got two brothers. So yeah. he, there's the idea of the dynamic of the relationship they have with these guys coming through that are coming through the same way that it would be. And, you know, that th- can add to the feud too because Hikaleo's allegiance with Jay and Bullet yep. Club, um, you know, can only add a little bit of spice to the whole can thing. Can you imagine, like, I, I mean, it's possible, like, I mean, at Royal Quest, right? Royal Quest, this is just, you know, it's before the Jay versus Tama Tonga match. If they did Jay White and Hikaleo versus G.O.D., Mm. like that's mm. juicy that that's juicy. juicy like yeah. that's like oh okay brothers versus brothers and jay white being the instigator it's like you want to unleash that's the thing like finding a way to unleash tama tonga 
the challenge for him is going to be able to be brutal because he can be brutal, but being brutal as a face is mm. going to be the, the nuance and the difficulty, I would say. But if if it's going to rely on Jay being despicable, and if he can do that, then yeah, I, I I just like the idea, Dave. Like, there's base archetypes, like starting points. Like this is these things are similar, and where do they take it, and how do they morph it and make it their own, and what they want to do. But if I'm all for that type of paired up long term vision, I mean, let's put it this way: they're both New Japan Dojo boys. They're both they got a job there as long as they want it, and so they're safe. You want to tell a story? I, I'm with you, man. I think that there's something interesting in that. I, as I said, all Japan women's of the '90s is a hard bar to reach. Um, like, yeah, like it's pretty fucking tough. I mean, the the, the picture just painted Dave as a match guy. <laughs> Sign me up. I am 100 king. Oh, dude, red red. There's some stuff in there that I think you'd really enjoy. Like there, it's. I mean, <laughs> you got to give Nakano. She was kind of like looked at, I think, in a lot of ways as like this kind of beastly monster, but she's actually, she's really gorgeous. Love her. Adora. She tried to make herself into the monster. Yeah. And maybe she had to, to, to get to the mindset. Yeah. And she was, she was so fucking cool though, too. Like, yeah. Her character yeah. Amazing. And you got to give it to her. That girl could work because Kong is like, she's limited, right? The back She can fist. do the monster stuff. And you know, in this cage match, she throws about 145 back fists. Yeah, the back fist, yeah. Um, and she kind of like, I don't think she sandbags when she try when she's getting power bombed and stuff. I just don't think she's athletic enough to actually get herself up in because no one else is trying to power bomb Kong. No. <laughs> no. I don't think she's ever really got herself into those positions before. So you got to give it to Nakano being actually the it looked iffy, but land her safely. Dude, uh, but Bull Nakano is one of my favorite wrestlers of all time. She's, she's up Jack. She's she's up on the the you know my like you know I have like this whole thing of wrestlers and Bull Nakano is one of them. But uh, dude, red like go and check out early nineties all Japan women's like that's that's a period. There's some great. If you like moves, yeah, you like moves. It's yeah, <laughs> it's pretty nuts. Uh, the way she went, look, because she was just like a monster, just running through everyone and um and uh, yeah, so just watching. Watching some of that content, I was uh, I really enjoyed it, and it's it's a real deep dive. It's kind of it, it's a long watch. Like, it has a long watches, but but I was uh, I was sort of somewhat inspired by by the idea of this kind of well, like oh, there's some parallels there, and I really like that that story. And I'm like, okay, I wonder if you could do the same with someone like Jay and Tama. That, that could really have this potential to have like a crazy blood feud that i feel like new japan could really use something like that dude sign me up 100 like i'm so 100 keen for you to be sick more often <laughs> things up. i listen to your story i listen to this this the booking and the logic and it makes a lot of sense and all i could think of was juice and finley because mm. all i look at and think these are two guys that were in the dojo together mm-hmm. yeah, that yeah. were in a faction oh, a team yeah. together mm-hmm. that and split at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. Split. Yeah. And I mean, then, maybe you could do Nakano and Kong, but with like Jay, 
Jeez, Finn. <laughs> yeah. So I think there's 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 what I'm saying is there's opportunities. They've because New Japan yeah. has reset a lot of their positioning in terms of there are new we're the we're at the seeding point of new rivalries right now. Yeah. And that's the part where it's but why it's so exciting is because I look at a guy, I look at that Finley and Juice story, that is going to be a long term story. We know yeah. that. I could believe them literally trying to tear shreds off each other. Like those guys have got this. I think they're almost there. Like that. that I mean, we saw it. Their first match. If you compare the matches, just from a their Corican match was brutal. Mm. The most brutal of the G one, I would say, in terms of just like they were going after each other's injuries. Yeah, viciously. Yeah. Vicious. Um. So there's a potential for that. That's but that's starting. And same as I think. Uh, Jay and Tama is in the same spot of starting where Tama's been doing his lot of work. They've almost been uh, like working side by side in parallel, but separate from one another to get to the yeah. point where they finally meet. So you've got that rivalry. And we just officially really kicked off the Okada Osprey rivalry. Guys are sort of finding their places with these new, these new sort of rivalries. We've got the Kenta Tanahashi one that's sort of bubbling from a year ago and starting to go that way. So we're starting to see new stories that have, that have those year-long builds, those two-year builds that we love about New Japan Pro Wrestling, those really long-term stories, and we're at the beginning of them. So I think that I'm with you. I think there will be a blood feud. I think New Japan needs one. I think New Japan needs a feud that feels dangerous. Yeah, and I think uh, like as far as someone is unhinged enough to want to have a blood, blood feud, it seems like Juice is going to be the character for it. Um, yeah. I guess what draws me into Jay and Tama is like, like to really draw me into that feud, it needs an edge. Yeah, that's fair because I think you could easily say that I think Finley and, and Juice is in a, there's an assumption or presumption that there will be an edge into that mm. match because we've seen it. And it's like, like so that's why I like the idea of the brothers that brings blood into it, like, yeah. They need they need to heat it up to because it could be a good old fashioned true babyface true heel fight and scrap and Jay could we all thought that Jay would get to a point where he'd wrestle guys and he would uncover his babyface instincts and I think the last two or three matches of the G one revealed his heel instincts mm. and it was like. That went a direction I didn't expect. Like the match against Taichi, I didn't expect. He came out and said, "I faked having, uh, I faked having heat stroke," and then he like barely got through and hung on. And they put Miho in peril and they did all that sort of stuff. And it feels like, it feels like almost he's going to the baser instincts. And if he does that, then it sets up perfectly because Tama's almost committed to saying, "I'm not going to do that." And here's the thing, here's the beautiful thing: they could do a double turn, and this and it could still be a blood feud. They could just say, yeah, yeah. we're going to go this way. And it would yeah. still work because ultimately there's something in there about pride. Mm. And that's the thing that I think ultimately, like you want to talk about the difference. There's a different, like there's different nuances based on people's experience of their social context. And so for men, pride is the, the, the key driving factor. Right. And it doesn't seem to get a, like, especially in a competitive combative sport, like the, to be like, whose pride is being attacked and it, it doesn't sort of doesn't escape me that Tama Tonga's shirt is a is the lion and like he's the he's this like this idea of I'm representing 
the king of sports, the proud king of sports, the you know the yeah, pack of lions that are the pride. Yeah. And it's like going up against a guy like Jay who isn't proud, like isn't like his whole thing is like I'm getting out of here with a win. I will I will sliver out of here with a win. And but he's a proud character at his heart. Like the reason he f- said fuck nine times, the reason he was so upset was he was disappointed that he didn't go undefeated. He's dis- he can't do it. He's his pride is constantly he's being embarrassed because he can't achieve what he says he's going to achieve, and he sets him up for all these big goals. And that's the emotion they're playing at. So if you're if you're going at two prideful men trying to like survive, and one challenges the other's pride by you know, fucking Jay was saying that he'd teach Tamar a lesson. His dad wouldn't had to have the balls to tell him. Like, yeah. that's like that's going at that's going pretty pretty rough straight at at your manhood and going at your family. Like going at your family, that's that's tough. I mean, the same thing that Finley and Juice are doing. So, I'm with you. I would like to see it. I think it needs it. I think you're right. I think the 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 sort of the, maybe the propellant for you going that direction with your conspiracy booking is an underlying sense. This feud needs to be ignited. Mm. It needs an ignition to get it to that. Needs some fire about it. It needs yeah. it because they're both good roles. They're both ready to go, but they're not like what's missing. What's missing? Okay, to, to draw a comparison, the two of you may not like, but I imagine like when um uh, Mick Foley or Cactus Jack first took on Hunter Hearst Helmsley. Now. Elaborate that to when they then took each other on at the mm. Royal Rumble and had their classic match. Now, they had to establish that initial match and have the history between the two of them for that match then to become more impactful. Yeah. So that's when Triple H is now Triple H and he's taking his jack. That's why when he referred back to their matches and everything, that's why fans got 100% behind it. Now, it's not really much to do with Jay and Tama, but what I'm referring to is the fact that the history. History matters. What, that's yeah. exactly it. That's what I'm referring to. And mm. that and that first match they had felt like a G1 match. It didn't feel like a feud match. No, it I didn't. imagine this next match will be like yeah, building off that. Yeah. You compare that to David Finley, Juice Robinson's first match. Yeah, yeah. Mm. That felt like two blokes wanted to beat the absolute piss out of each other. Yes, they and wanted the, the to win. G, the G one was negligible, really. Yeah, like. but they wanted to <laughs> hurt one another, and yeah. they but they also wanted to hurt each other, hurt each other's emotionally by winning the match. Like they wanted mm. to embarrass them by winning the match. And I think that that's what Jay was saying in that Tama match was I lost that match. He was hurt. That's how you hurt Jay. Like yeah. you make him go back on what he says. Like Jay's whole thing is mm. I say what I do. I do what I say. Well, he didn't, yeah, he's hurt because he was wrong. He didn't think that Tama had a chance. He underestimated him. He didn't have any respect for him. Yeah. He didn't think that he had a chance. So now that he does, yeah, I I, I kind of want that to, like, elevate his eagerness to, to be hurtful. To, yeah, he has to hurt him back. Yeah. So then that can cre- that can spark this kind of, like, fiery feud between the two of them. And all sorts of things, yeah. You know, brothers can be brought into it, you know, bullet club stuff can be brought into it. And then, you know, eventually you wrestle each other enough times, then there's something's gonna happen and you're gonna be like, hats off to you. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's where I'm hoping that this thing ends up. Those type of stories that are 
they're more than just the match. There, there's a long invested like that's what like it's what connected us to the promotion to begin with. Like following those things, like and those they're ongoing. They continue to go. Like there, there's guys out there that have got these stories that they can heat up and come back to, and that they're they're part of. And I think that maybe Jay has always played a certain role in these things, like whether it's him and Okada or whether it's him and Tanahashi or it's him and Naito, these interesting, they're not really, they're stories of Jay trying to get to like the stories of him trying to ascend to a place he believes like um, him and Ibushi in the same way. Like, and he always fails, but they're always just about Jay as a character. They're just about him. Mm. And, Maybe with him and Tama, it can be something more than just about Jay as a character, but it can be something that speaks to Bullet Club, you know. And we may, we it might, we might have reached a point in time now where we need to ruminate on Bullet Club as a faction, as a thing, you know. We might have gotten to that point where Bullet Club needs to die, you know. Mm. And I could see no better way to do it than if you can't get, if you can't get uh, Devitt back, then you've got. You've got the other three of the core four there and do the story, kill it and have Tama be the one that, that does it and have it by taking out the most successful leader they've ever had. Like that's the story. Like that's the thing. Like people don't want to tell it like that's the story. Jay White is kayfabe in story, the most successful bullet club leader. He's two time war champ He's like under their reign. They've had the most, like they've done everything. Yeah. The real, so, belt collector yeah. yeah so kill him and that would be the story of like the maybe the end goal of that as you said is is them realizing and accepting one another of realizing and respecting one another and saying i can't help but take my hand and, you off know, Tama potentially teaching him the lesson of like you know real support is trust from your brothers like yeah. if you can be with people you don't want to be everyone snaking each other and backstabbing each other and you want trust and that trust only comes we were never there was never a leader with the, the core four there was never a leader that was the idea we went we and he and remember time i always said that there was never a leader we all have a role to play and initially when jay joined there wasn't a leader and then it was like a random tweet out of nowhere where thomas said oh jay is the leader of bullet club that's the lesson yeah need to lead with not in front of i like it i'm interested I like that you went down uh, the Joseph's uh, videos things because he was in the, he was in the, he, I, I love, look, I respect him because he, his Twitter game is awesome. This week he was saying that the punk uh, mocks match was his match of the year. <laughs> the, the three minute squash. <laughs> cause he's like, it got, it, look at how it engaged the audience. It's like, cause he's, in, he's looking like fair fucks to him. He understands what he likes and he's, wants to convey that to people he's he's telling yeah. you what he likes it's not oh, sh shout out to him because uh, you know those yearly breakdowns there's a lot involved in it and like he watches he watches like 300 matches or something for that and then fully breaks down like what he likes about each thing so it's very clear by the end of it what his sensibilities are yeah. and you know, he's also eddie kingston's favorite youtuber so that's a that's a great thing for him eddie's always hyping him well, that was actually a six. That, that was a great show. That's a crazy show, and insanely yeah, fun. I liked it all. Yeah that that one is yeah. going to be. Uh, this is what's going to be great. This is going to be a great show to throw. It's going to be like a message in a bottle. We're going to throw it out and see what people think. Because yeah, yeah. It's, it's very. This is actually our best show. It was something else. It was something different. Yeah. It was something different.
The key, the key important takeaway for everyone listening is that Dave will find a way to take any pro wrestling story and make it about Jay White. That's the important <laughs> lesson. Like, not matter what it is, they'll be like, what about Jay? Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, what can I say? <laughs> the, the love for Jay is strong. 